0: It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono.
1: It's Saturday, and that means it's another edition of the Weekend Watchdogs Mike Silva, Joe Bono on this May the 16th. If you want to listen to the show live or on replay, go to weekendwatchdogs.com. Send us a tweet at Mike Silver Media at JBono611. And you can check us out on Facebook at the Weekend Watchdogs Facebook page. And joining me is our good buddy, my good buddy, Joe Bono. I know he's ready to talk some hockey this morning. He's chipper. Um, a lot to talk about hockey, a lot to talk about baseball. We have the NBA lottery selection, so we might have a couple of conspiracy theories. Maybe we'll touch on the Flategate, but it sounds like that's been exhausted. Uh, but how are you doing, Joe? Are you ready to talk a little sports this morning, a little New York sports? I'm taking a, I'm taking a deep breath, Mike, because that's what Sandy Alderson says all Mets fans should do. Just <sighs> take a deep breath. Everything is just going to
0: be okay. You're deflecting.
1: you're deflecting. You started with that comment because you're trying to get me riled up a little bit so we don't talk Rangers. So Andrew Bogish of CBS Sports Radio joins us at 1020. Oh, I'm, I'm to. happy to I'm happy to talk Rangers, but I'm just I mean I have to take a deep breath when it comes to both taking a deep breath as the Rangers come back from three one yet again for the second year in a row in the second round of the playoffs and they just don't win they play exhilarating hockey games. Um, if you're a fan, I you know I tweeted this out um, after the game, and I said if you go back from 2012 to now and you think of all the really magnificent memorable moments. That the Rangers have given their fans over the last three years. And as an Islander fan, like a top five moment is like a brawl against the Penguins in like a regular season. I saw that. You know, so, I saw that. you know, and I was thinking, listen, the Rangers may or may not get over the hump. But you look at, you know, we talk a lot about the 90s Knicks often on the show, because right? I think that's a yep. team that very much we identified yep. with in the City fell in love with. Now, I don't think the love affair between the Knicks and New York City is the same as it is the Rangers in New York City. I think that Knicks team was well more popular, just basketball in general being more popular. But you think about the three-year stretch, 91, 92, 92, 93, 93, 94, 94, 95, all these kind of great moments that happened in a four-year stretch. And what the Rangers have done and all the big-time moments at the Garden in a lot of ways resembles that. Now, will they get over the hump? That's a fair point. I don't know. You know, um, our, pal, our pal Mike Vaccaro wrote an article, some of my Ranger fan friends didn't like it, about the eerie comparisons between Henrik Lundqvist and Patrick Ewing, just how the career is paralleled, not where they started from, because Ewing was a number one overall pick and Lundqvist was the seventh overall pick, but 10 years into their career, they finally make the finals, fall off short, you know, first round series, they get through second round series, down 3-1, and then Ewing missed the finger roll. In right. game five, game seven against the Pacers, the Lundquist, another game seven victory. So those comparisons kind of no longer can be made. But I've, I was thinking about that all week. The Rangers and the Knicks, the Knicks of the 90s, the Rangers period of time right now. There's a lot of comparisons there in terms of the type that's, of moments they're giving New York sports fans. I have I didn't think of that. And I think when you look at Lundquist, I mean, this truly, I mean, this is going to be a tough series. I think anybody who. And I know uh, our, you know, he's been on the show. Francesca's producer Brian Monzo. Uh, he actually admitted going into the Capitals series how once the Islanders lost, he was already looking past the Capitals. But I think at this point, seeing how physical the hockey is, how it's, it, it, you're, you're really all the teams that are have made it to this point have been able to figure out how to stop scoring. I mean, you're not seeing the same hockey that you saw during regular season. It's two-one. It seems like that's at least in the Eastern Conference that's been the way. You can't look past Tampa. This is going to be a tough series. No, Lunquist, you bring up Lundquist and Pierre Maguire said something to Mike Francesa yesterday that I thought on WFAN that I thought was interesting. When Francesa a- asked him to say, Okay, who does Lundquist remind you of? And first Maguire said, Forget winning a cup. If they don't win a cup, he believes Lundquist is among the greats. Now that's always a debatable thing. If you don't win a Stanley Cup, how can you be among the greats of all time goaltenders? But he compared. He actually gave it a multi-layered comparison with Lundqvist. He said he has the intensity and focus of Billy Smith without the nastiness. He's cerebral like Ken Dryden, and like Patrick Raw, Ra, He's um. Hey, get me one goal, I'll carry you. And it actually makes a lot of sense. Now I didn't see Dryden play, and I certainly didn't see Billy Smith play. But you could see highlights, and you hear about it. Uh, to me, that's a great. That's a pretty uh, impressive combination. And you could even say, like his buddy Matt Harvey, um, give me one run and, and I'll give you zeros. That's what Lundquist is going to do. He's going to try to put up zeros, maybe one goal. And you've got to think, I know it's going to be tough against Tampa, an offensive-minded team. If that's the way Lundquist is going to continue to play, how can you bet against the Rangers going forward? Because is anybody going to beat them at that point? Because the Rangers are going to be able to score a couple goals. And look at well, the team in overtime. But, Mike, but Lundquist hasn't. Diminish his skill set. He's been this type of player for the number of years now. And, you know, the Rangers still found a way to lose in six games course, to the, end on in the Tortorella. in I'm it was just a saying, they lost t- on Tortorella. I mean, at the end. I mean, no, you know, I mean, that, they had that... Uh, listen, he's been a top goaltender in this league for a long period of time. Now, I think the team around him right now is better than, it would, than it's it been. Obviously, that by them winning the President's Trophy is evident enough. Um, but... You know, just because he's playing at the top of the game doesn't mean that they won't find ways to lose a potential series. And this Tampa Bay team was the highest scoring team in the NHL. Um, they play a similar style to the Rangers, a fast, uh, quick, offensive-minded. And the Rangers lost to them all three times. Now, again, it was, you know, late. in the 2014 calendar year, early in the season, really before the Rangers started to really pick up and really became a different team. But they beat the Rangers all three times. Ben Bishop, the goaltender for the Lightning, has never lost to the Rangers. He's 8-0 lifetime against the Rangers. And then you have all these kind of, you know, crossover uh, talents between the two teams. Um, The Rangers have, obviously, Martin St. Louis, who spent the vast majority of his career in Tampa, won a Stanley Cup. Um, Dan Boyle spent some time with Tampa Bay as well, and then with the Rangers, you got with the uh, Lightning, you got Brian Callahan, obviously the captain of the Rangers, who went over there in the Saint Louis, Saint Louis trade. Brian Boyle, um, who I think Ranger fans really fell in love with the way he played on that fourth line last year, and Anton Strollman. So you got a lot of really cool parallels. The, the head coach you got a lot Lightning. of narratives that you can can play. Now here's a couple that we'll throw out. First, the interesting story, uh, which is the one New York connection, John Cooper, the coach, which I didn't know, went to Hofstra, a lawyer, really played lacrosse at Hofstra. Really, I don't want to compare him to Jeff Van Gundy, but almost this out-of-nowhere type of coach that you would never expect to be coaching an NHL team. I mean, how hard it is to get one of those jobs. I mean, he does, he's not an all-star former player. He's not Brian Trotje getting handed you know, the Rangers gig and what have you. So that's there. And here's the other thing. I mean, everyone talks about A-Rod in the postseason in his prime. I mean, is Rick Nash hitting that point where uh, with the breakaway in game seven, uh, you know, you started to wonder, is he holding the stick a little tight? You brought this up before. Um, they've been able to win, really, without Nash, um, without the ability to have a great Rick Nash. So, um, you know, what about that and how how that plays into this? And And can the Rangers get past Tampa Bay? Can the Rangers win a cup? with similar performance that they have gotten from Nash historically in the last two postseasons. I mean, can they, you know, you know, can they win like that? Yeah, I think they have enough depth and enough scoring to go around. I mean, guys like Chris Kreider continues to step up um, in the postseason. I mean, he's a big-time player, Chris Kreider. You know, you look at his stats comparatively to like other him. young players. Well, he was a young player, and he was, was offensive-minded. and wasn't responsible defensively. Now, maybe he should have played him more. Um, and that's why, in part, Tortorella was gone. But, you know, Chris Kreider, JT Miller, Chris Hayes, these young guys, they have that secondary scoring. Obviously, Derek Stepon, uh who scored the Game 7 overtime winner. So I think there's enough other scoring. Remember, St. Louis really hasn't gotten going. He had a great postseason last year, but he hasn't been that Big of a score, they do lose Zuccarello, and I think that obviously was a big part. And you know, people talking about this they're, hope they're, not playing, see heard, they're not playing, well, I've see heard they're not going to I've heard from a couple different places that Zuccarello's career could be in jeopardy, that this wow. injury was that serious, it's pucked to the head, that it could be where he doesn't play again. Now, again, that's speculation, but I've heard that from two different independent people told me that um not provoked about about that news on Zuccarello. maybe they're all hearing it from the same place um but I found that interesting but remember for the second series in a row now Steven Stamkos is not the villain Alexander Ovechkin is he's certainly not right. the physical player he's not going to hit guys he's not going to slam them into the boards um into the glass but Steven Stamkos is as talented an offensive player is, as there is in, in the NHL so you get to see him up close and him on a big time stage and they have a lot of supplemental scoring, too. Tyler Johnson, um, you know, they have, um, you know, guys that, you know, Victor Hedman is one of the best defensemen in the league, a former number two pick overall. So they got a lot of talent, a lot of depth, and I think it's going to be another great long series. Now, unfortunately for me, the way this series breaks down, and this is the, this is the blessing the Islanders have given me as a fan, and even the Knicks now, but that my springs, <laughs> my springs don't have any conflicts anymore. You know the days of having they're worried about your schedule. (laughs) I mean, I'm I'm, just saying your social schedule is very exhausting. I I followed you on Facebook, and I got to be honest with you, uh, my workday is is like a picnic compared to your uh, after hours activities. I don't know how you you do it. Honestly, I'd punt. I'd punt (laughs) a few of those events if I were you. So uh, they released the uh, Eastern Conference. You know, schedule. Well, first off, my long-delayed Brazil trip, which was supposed to be you know, first week in May, is now actually upon us. I'm leaving for that tomorrow night. But game one is today at one o'clock at the Garden. I have a wedding. Uh, so the wedding's at two thirty. Um, then, but although I will be at a bar before we head over to the, I'll be at a place called McSwiggins in the city uh, before uh, we head over transportation into Long Island City. Uh, for that wedding, then I'm in Brazil for games two and three, and then game four, I get back from Brazil on Friday, there's a game on game four Friday night, I'm at another wedding. So I guess imagine... Would you have been it? able to handle this if the Islanders were in the conference finals? I don't, I, Mike, I don't know. I don't you know what I was the wedding. Did you have problem the wedding? Well, listen, we're going to the ceremony. It's very important to my wife to attend these ceremonies, especially for good friends. A lot of people just, I'll see you at the reception. She's a ceremony yeah, person. I would have, have, have punched the ceremony. Yeah, I think sure. that would have been. if it was the Islanders, it would have been, very, it would have been a big-time conflict, a lot of friction between the husband and wife over me staying at home, and I'll see you at the reception when the game's over. There's a little disappointing move by you on Twitter this week, and if you want to follow Jay, you H- at Bono 611 that you were selecting Mad Men over the Rangers Game Seven and Mets and Matt Harvey. I got the sense that you were more interested in the Mad Men, what was it, a, a, a marathon going on than some of those sporting events. I've been that watching it a thing. lot uh, lately, but no, I mean I just you know things weren't going too well for uh, the Mets this week. And, uh, you know, after the Rangers went up, obviously, in game six, 4-1, I was like, I'm going to change the channel at this point. But then it quickly became 4-3, and I was back yep. locked in. But that's another that was, thing. A and that Mad was a great game, night. Too. I'm going to be on a plane for Mad Men on Sunday night. I mean, you know, I mean, all the, all, stress, the, uh, right? all the stress, there's a lot of stress going on. So do you, and I know you hate making predictions, but are you, I, I see a long series, six or seven. I mean, the way the Rangers go, this is probably going to be a seven-game series and um having the president's trophy gives them game 7 at the garden which clearly uh, even though home ice and hockey is not like the nba well is it is advantage. for the rangers though mike rangers in 7 yeah. when the game games at 7 or just rangers in 7 when hendrik lunquist is in net for game 7 is a pretty safe bet did you did you see the uh, statistic that on may 13th 2013 14 and 15 the rangers played game 7s all three they won and in all three, Henrik Lundqvist had 35 saves. The exact I did not day, see that. three day, three years in a row consecutively. Maybe consecutive you should play three, that in a lottery. May you should play that in a lottery. But but let me ask you. It, I think it was Mark Rosenman that said it last week. Getting back to a Cup final, whether you win or lose, it's hard. It's very hard. You see all these teams, and it's truly a tournament. If the Rangers don't pull this off, look, it's not a failure. That's a strong word. That's a Yankee nonsense. World Series or bust, or championship or bust. But this, at this point, the way they came back last Friday night, winning a game seven, having really just as good a chance, maybe may better than anybody left in, the, in this tournament. If they don't win a cup, uh, is the window closing? A I guess the answer is no, but it's not going to be easy to be back here next year. And uh, you know, does Lundqvist then go into that debate where, like with Ewing? Great player, didn't bring a championship home, Will mm. be loved in New York, but not looked at. I think hockey at, are protected more so than basketball players, even more so than football quarterbacks. Baseball players, too, I think are protected. You know, we think back of Mike Piazza, yeah. Ernie Banks. Well, Baseball players Barry are protected Bond, around a World Barry Series. Barry Bonds got a rap for a while, if you remember, before 2002, because he had all those Pittsburgh series mm-hmm. where he didn't hit in the 90s, and then his series against the Mets in 2000, he didn't hit. A little hit bit. For the Giants. That's a basketball... It's a basketball superstar, sure. um, NFL quarterback argument. I don't know if a goaltender, even one with the history and all the accolades of Henrik Lundqvist, I don't know if he did not get his name um, etched on a Stanley Cup if that somehow hangs over his head you know, in retirement. Now, he's probably got at least three, maybe four more years left after this, and the Rangers' core is a young core. You know, even though they have kind of this stigma of being this, you know, corporate, big-money team, listen, that doesn't exist anymore in the NHL with the salary cap that's very strict. You know, everyone kind of has the same ceiling and floor, and and the Rangers are right there at that ceiling like a lot of teams are. But they got a very young core of players with some other young players maybe coming up in the future. So I don't think the window is certainly closed, but you know how difficult it is to get here. And Mike Princess has talked about this, the randomness of these games. How close things could be. A guy hits a post, hits a crossbar, puck deflects off a skate. You know, even the goal, you know that the uh, Capitals score the J Beagle goal in the series. You know, the the get them get them tied at one. Like, you know, just off Lundquist's skate and goes in the net. So these kind of things can happen. The Tampa series coming up. I think most Ranger fans expected to get tied Pittsburgh, although maybe a little bit uncertainty after the game two loss. So for still, Rangers in five, that's what I said. That's what happened. Um, Capitals, I think, gave them, obviously, I don't think they expected ever to be down 3-1, but I think a lot of people expected a big-time long series, and I think that's the same way. So if you say Rangers in seven, fine, and going with the Rangers' track record is, if you're picking Tampa, pick Tampa in six, because it's been shown that going to the Garden for a game seven is going to probably end up in a one-goal one, one goal loss. No, there's, there's, uh, there's no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, look, more Garden moments. Maybe they could do a special series uh, this summer. <laughs> you know how the Garden likes to do those series, like, you know, moments and stuff? Maybe you'll have another moment. But even with that, Joe, you have to say that when you're here and you have a chance to win two years in a row, you got to get this. The Rangers got to get this done. I, I'm with you. I'm with you at the young core. Um, I'm with you that Lundquist. But you can't keep getting this close. No, and you're right. And this has right. been building up. Joe, this has been building up since Tortorella in uh, 2012 when they lost to the Devils in the conference finals, and the Four fans years really in fell in love with, with Stanley that Stanley Cup right aspirations. You know, It doesn't have. I mean, look. Granted, you can you you know maybe the Rangers are, are in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals the next three years after that, and they eventually bring it bring it home. But this has got to happen now. And is there ever going to be a better opportunity? When you think about it, President's Trophy. You have the Game Sevens, home ice, the, the competition is stiff. Your competition is stiff, but is Chicago the same team as they've been in the past? They're tough, but are they the same team? They've struggled at times during the season. I know Anaheim is really good, and you got Tampa. You really should beat Tampa. You really should be. Nobody would have expected Tampa to be here, I think, if you look I think Montreal well, maybe. Not, not before uh, the season, and there's been plenty of articles of how quickly the Tampa Bay Lightning and Steve Eiserman have revamped this roster very quickly to ascend to one of the better teams in the NHL. But listen, the team they beat in Montreal, they beat a very good Canadiens team. Now, listen, the Canadians also play a very upbeat, fast style. And remember, Carey Price is probably going to win the Vesna. Might win the Hart Trophy also, so he was ever every little bit as good of a goaltender this season as Henrik Lundqvist has been at any point in his career, and they scored a lot of goals against Carey Price. So they Maybe not only just, not only did they just end up beating a top goaltender or the top goaltender in the league this year, but the Tampa Bay Lightning also did it against a team that plays a similar style from the Rangers. While the Rangers are now going from a very physical series and now having to go play this very fast, quick lightning team, they kind of just finished off a series like that. That They were up 3-0, faced some adversary, but had a game six at home and took care of business. That game was never much in, 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 in doubt. One last thing before we take a break, and we have Andrew Bogus joining us in a couple of minutes from CBS Sports Radio. Later on, Kevin Kerner of the New York Post will join us, talk a little baseball. Your buddies at the Isles blog could be blamed for what happened last Friday. I was starting to talk to some Rangers fans who were getting annoyed with that Twitter account. Minute forty left. I don't own. I don't, own, tweet. I don't and, own that. Uh, all account, they like? said I is have my own Islanders. Talk. Islanders took them in seven. Just saying. Since that tweet, I can't remember who it was. It was the Isles blog or someone that follows the Isles blog that retweeted it. It has been nothing but in the crapper since then. So, the weight of the Islanders fans trying to bring the Capitals on might have actually worked in the Rangers favor over there if they had the miraculous comeback last Friday in Game 5, so anyway. But um, anyway, uh, let's take a uh, quick break. When we come back, Andrew Bogish of CBS Sports Radio will join us. We'll talk a little hockey, of course. Again, Kevin Kern of the New York Post joining us later on as we talk baseball. You're listening to the Weekend Watchdogs. Mike Silva, Joe Bono. Listen to us live or on replay at weekendwatchdogs.com. We'll be back right after this. A disagreement between the weekend watchdogs starts with a growl. Money does this. not matter to them. It doesn't matter if these guys yeah. have diminished returns at the end of the contract. They will sure. spend more. Yeah, but you can't build a, a 25-man roster with the way that the the salaries are going. Leads to a bark. So <laughs> The New York Yankees are going to go out and sign and make Do a big splash. They did that they, they're, extreme they're done. And Dojo. they're not done this offseason. And ends with a bite. <laughs> They can't implement or supplement anybody. Last year's a perfect 10 with their dollars. You just can't build a team like that. They are building a team like no, that. No, they're going to fall short because they're not going to be able to fill their second base spot, their third base spot. Tune in to the Weekend Watchdogs, Saturday, 10 to noon on Blog Talk Radio.
0: They are devoting all their energy to this game, both teams. Off the tie up, it is fair, but it came back to Yandel.
1: Game one, Eastern Conference Finals, Rangers and Lightning, based off one PM this afternoon after Garden. And so now you can listen to him Monday through Friday, six AM to nine AM on CBS Sports Radio, the Geo and Jones show. That's my good friend Andrew Bogish. Andrew, how you doing this morning, pal?
2: Joe, I'm doing I'm doing good. Thanks for having me back on. I appreciate it.
1: You know, Andrew, I know that uh, maybe last month or so you did a life swap segment with, uh, your, with Brian Jones, and I would like to do a live swap with Ranger fans for just a little bit, because we were talking about this at the Open. You look at what type of moments this franchise has given Ranger fans, really from 2012 to now. I mean, they're countless. It's starting to rival you know, early 90s Knicks in terms of how many magical moments this fan base is having. No cup yet, but it's been quite a ride.
2: It, it's been quite a ride, but I, I think what that last little that last little bit is kind of the linchpin right now. Um, that that early '90s Nick comparison is nice, um, but I hope that Henrik Lundqvist is not the on-ice version of Patrick Ewing. That um, you know his career ends and it's full of really nice moments, but not the moment uh, of, of a championship. And uh, you know, it, it, it certainly has been fun personally to enjoy these last couple of years with this team being. Uh, very legit and going very deep in the postseason, but it's also been and this is going to annoy people. It's been way too strenuous. Uh, it'd be nice, and you, you guys both know this. It'd be nice if you know four-one uh, earlier against the Caps was stayed four-one or got to five-one instead of four-three and having those last eight or nine minutes be an absolute barrage of Henrik. And um, you know, Game Seven didn't have to go to overtime. It was certainly fun, um, and it was a- after the fact to have Stepan's goal as a new moment. But I would have preferred the way Tampa closed out game six. You know, it's 3-0 in a hurry, 4-1 the whole third period of celebration. Uh, I would have signed up for that too. But in general, yes, it is, it is still nice that this team is once again playing this late in the season.
1: Now, if you're a Rangers fan, Andrew, when you have the cup, when you look back, you're going to say, wouldn't have had it any other way. Would you have liked a Sixers, 4 5 foe, whatever that is that Moses Malone put out there? Maybe, but think about even the Mets fans. You wouldn't want eighty six any other way. Now that's after the fact, but to your point, I mean, it, it would be nice if there wasn't so much cardiac action going on.
2: Yeah, you know, we actually had this debate yesterday on the year about like how you want your team to get to the end. And somebody brought up the ninety eight Yankees, who were basically you know just on cruise control. And, and I said, well, okay, but do you do you value title that title any less than the other ones? I mean, do you do you? So I, th- I think it's you know it's nice to look back and have singular memories, but I just want to get to the end. You want to get to the finish line. Um, and, you know, I was six years old in 86, so I wasn't really built for stress and whatever then. But, I mean, if I had to live through that, that Red Sox series now, I'd be a mess. Um, and it would be great if they won in the end, but I certainly would have signed up for a sweep instead of all that drama.
1: Andrew Bogus, CBS Sports Radio, is our guest now. You used to be part of the John Feinstein show. Previously, John, a very dedicated, longtime Islanders fan. It's
2: why we broke and, up. Actually, it, was, yeah, it became I, I, untenable. Understand. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Has there been any? I mean, have you reached out? Has did he reach out? Capitals up three-one. Has it been kind of just silent? Have you stayed your separate ways during the postseason?
2: Uh, the, the last time we spoke was after Game Seven of of Caps Islanders, um, where you know we we both because I. You know, I made the mistake of actually thinking that I didn't want to play the Islanders in the second round. I thought that was dangerous. I thought it's, it was akin to, you know, kind of Yankees-Mets. Um, you know, Rangers just didn't... Because personally, you know, on one hand, I was afraid of the Islanders more so than the Capitals. And I just... I, I don't think I could have lived in New York after a, an Islander defeat of the Rangers in the postseason. Um, but, so I talked to John then about not having Rangers-Islanders, about his, him asking me to take care of the Capitals... Um, but that was the last time we spoke. I think the Players' Championship dominated his uh, his time the last <laughs> couple of weeks, so we have uh, we have not checked back in, but I'm sure um, I, I owe him an email after Game 7 of this of this round for sure.
1: Andrew Bogish of the CBS Sports Radio, at Andrew Bogish on Twitter. Uh, think about the Rangers here. Now, we know how hard it is to get back to a cup final. They are on the precipice of doing it two years in a row. Not saying this is their only chance going forward, but – you almost think it's built up. You have to seize it. It's not a failure if they lose. I'm not going to go the, the arrogant Yankees, Randy Levine, Hal Steinbrenner route, but it's a major disappointment. And then as a Rangers fan, you have to say to yourself, is this going to happen? Um, do you agree with that mindset? You've got to seize it now, especially after that Friday win a week ago.
2: You, you have to seize it now 1,000%. Uh, I think, number one, the clear reason why, um, you know, Hank – Lundquist is not at the finish line yet, but every year that you don't win, you get closer to that finish line. Um, and I, and you know you, you just you can't ever assume that whenever it's time to move away from him or he's done playing, you're not going to have another version of him right there behind it. Um, this is, you know, you, you can put him on, however you want to rank him on Richter and Jockerman and I, you know, it's whatever, you're splitting hairs at some point. He's arguably the best goaltender in the history of the franchise and he's not 24 years old. Uh, I think there's still a couple of years of really lead play left in him, but you, you just don't want another season to pass. And with all due respect to the Tampa Bay Lightning, you know the Rangers are not by a lot, but they're the number one seed. They won the President's Trophy. I think that they are the, I think they're the better team, top to bottom. I really want to see how Tampa plays against this kind of team over five, six, seven games in a series. Um, with a, a kind of a you know a lot of new faces to playing this late in the season, I, I would Joe, I and Mike, I, I I might use the word disappointment if if they didn't get through this round, um, because I think as the number one seed with Hank uh, with the way they play, I, I, I think not you know and the way things have broken throughout the entire season, that some teams who we were you know you you were scared of whether it's Pittsburgh or Boston ended up not being as dangerous, not even being in the postseason. And then, getting to now, um, again, no knock on Tampa Bay, but this is this is a winnable series for the Rangers. And if they don't win it, and if for some reason they lose it quickly, uh, I, I would I would absolutely use the word disappointment for the way the season ended.
1: Andrew, a lot of talk as we preview the series has been about how these two teams play similar styles and you know, people will point to how Tampa handled the Rangers, although a different Ranger team earlier in the season Yeah. Ben Bishop's career against the Rangers. I think he's 8-0, and he's never lost to them. Do you expect this series to be, go more the way of the 2-1, you know, 3-2 games, the overtime, a continuation of more one-goal games? Or can you see this being more, you know, wide open, more 4-3, more high energy, more scoring? Um. You know, where do you see this series kind of, what kind of, you know, Shape? Do you think this series ends yeah, up taking? I, I, what kind of personality does it
2: take? I, I think I like option B. I think I, I like speed. I like some openness. I like up and down the ice. Um, the where the concern though creeps in from the Ranger perspective is right now the way both sides are playing. Tampa Bay is better on offense, and they are lethal. I think there were seven for their last 20 on the power play uh, against Montreal to close that, that series out. Uh, so my, my concern is if, if I'm right that things are going to be open and there's going to be more offense and there's going to be more scoring chances. My concern with the, for the ranger perspective is Tampa Bay is going to might cash in more than they do, because uh, I just, I, you know, I know they got through and I just, I can't subscribe to two one being your mo i I just i don't think that you can get through four rounds especially now with tampa and then either anaheim or chicago the rangers have to open things up here they have to be better on offense and maybe maybe they need this kind of series that's going to have a little more uptick to it uh maybe that gets nash going maybe zuccarello makes a miraculous return in this lineup but probably not uh but no i i think there's offense in this series and the and then that leads to the follow-up of can the rangers match what the Lightning are doing right now, because that, that triplet line is phenomenal. And then you have to deal with Stamkos and Callahan. So it's, it's, that's definitely a, a dangerous spot for them.
1: You you'd mentioned offense, and I, it brings me to Nash. And we were talking a little in the open about how A-Rod struggled so many years with the Yankees in the postseason. And I don't know if it's a fair comparison to put Nash and A-Rod in the same sentence, but he struggled since he's been a Ranger to postseason. And Joe believes they can win without Nash contributing at any level more than what he has. I'm not so sure. Where are we at here with this guy? Is is it just a matter of now it's in his head? Is it is it something the opposition has figured out about him uh, with the way the Rangers play? Andrew, it's 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 frustrating because you brought this guy here to provide the offense that you just talked about.
2: Yeah, it's um you know where I am on it is the guy's got to score. Uh, I've I and I'm glad he's doing it, but I can't anymore go back to well at least he's back checking and he at least he's playing and that's all great stuff and that's part of the reason why that they're winning, and he's had, you know, I think he had the, the most assists in the last round. I mean, so he's, there, there is production from Rick Nash. There's no, there's, it's not like he's completely useless, which is what San Luis is flirting with right now. But Nash just has to score. I, I, it's way oversimplified, but he's just, in game, in game 7, down one nothing, shorthanded, breakaway from center ice in. That puck's just got to be in the net, and I know Hopey made a really good save but I just like that's just got to go in. That's why Nash gets paid and why he's here. Like you said, um, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. I'm sure some of it's in his head. I, clearly, some of it is not having Zuccarello. Although, you know, that to me only has goes so far as an excuse. Um, but the guys just got to figure out how to put the puck in the net because I'm I'm with you. I don't think that they can win two more rounds against this team and then whomever survives Chicago Anaheim without him being dynamic because he's the one guy that can consistently do make something out of nothing. You know, there's clearly development from Kreider Hayes has been fantastic. Um, I think they've got to play JT Miller with Nash, um, consistently the way, way they did at the end of game seven, you know, San Louis, fourth line, third line. I just, I, I don't think he's got enough right now. Um, but it's just, it has at some point, Nash has to be Nash. It doesn't need to be eight goals in the series. It just needs to be important goals here and there, in a power play, shorthanded. He's just got to have a bigger impact by putting the puck in the net in a series where they're not going to get through this one. And if they somehow do, then I can't say they're going to win the next one if he's not being something close to what he should be.
1: You know, Andrew, you've um, had a nice little back and forth with John Feinstein in the past as one of your Islander fan friends. Uh, one of the Islander fans that you interact most with is uh-huh. actually – you know, part of Isle's blog at um, Apple Cider on Twitter. That's Brittany Cider, and Brittany actually is on the line now and wants to say hello.
3: <laughs> hey, how are you?
2: I'm good. How are you?
3: I'm good. So, you know, I'm
2: trying to so think. This might be the first time that I, that we've actually talked like <laughs> voice to Andrew, voice. This,
1: this is the reason why the Rangers won. I think it was actually. It must I have knew been somebody. So it maybe was maybe it was go Brittany. This route. So yeah. I mean, I I mean she guys tweeted out banter. Like I know they have friendly banter back and forth throughout the season, but Andrew, I mean, Brittany's, Brittany, just tell us all how you really feel about the Rangers advancing in the postseason. <laughs> um,
3: it's it's tough. I mean, it, a lot of Rangers fans, I think, would feel the same way I would if the if the Islanders were advancing to the semis, obviously. But um, a lot of Rangers fans don't understand the animosity and. I don't necessarily get that. As hockey fans, we're the most passionate fans there are, and we're in the same division. We're in the same conference. That's the way hockey sets us up to feel. I mean, you know, with football and the Jets and the Giants, they're in different conferences. I can root for the Giants if they make it, you know, to the postseason to the Super Bowl. I am a Giants fan. At the end of the day, like, I will root for them. Same thing with, you know, with the with the Knicks. And the not I don't really care. But when it comes to the Mets and Yankees and Islanders and Rangers. There is no, there are no blurred lines there. I am an Islanders fan. I am a Mets fan. I will never root for the Yankees. I will never root for the Rangers, and I will always root for whoever they're playing against. And that's the <laughs> way I'm, I'm born and raised, and I am proud of it. So
1: <laughs>
3: it is what it is.
1: Now, Andrew, did you notice that she almost immediately changed her, you know, Twitter background to the Lightning logo yes. following up? Uh, which,
2: which I appreciate because when I was growing up, and I was a a a terrible Mets fan, Yankee hater. uh, And the Mets were terrible and the Yankees were good. Um, I absolutely had a Cleveland Indians hat because, you know, with between Manny and Bayerga. I had a Mariners hat for those Griffey teams because I needed the Yankees to lose. So I, I absolutely know the Islander dynamic here. Uh, The problem is this is the, this is the only time I experienced in the other way where like I'm the team that's, you know, historically, what's the right word? You know, like, the, you know, the, Island, the, the Mets can never catch the Yankees, right? Yeah. Now, the, the Rangers are never, have the ability, in theory, to match cup, raw cup numbers with the Islanders where they trail. But in terms of, like, historical significance and just being alive longer, the Islanders are behind the Rangers in that standpoint. So it's weird going in the other direction for me. And I will admit, at times, um, it has been very taxing, the, the Islander angst, and I get it, but I, and I don't know why I end up asking because I've been very emotional and irrational at times in my in my Yankee hate. So I don't know why I expect Islander fans to have like respectful hate for the Rangers. But I guess that's the that's the battle I'm fighting right now is to uh, just and I, you know what I was a good boy. On game seven, I saw a tweet from Brittany about the Rangers looking like chopped liver or something like that, and I didn't say didn't say anything about it. I just and you are for the
1: tweets. Root for the tweets because every time the Isles blog or anyone associated <laughs> that tweets out something negative, the Rangers do well. So you know what? If I'm so maybe I should fast, take over please, the account. Please, please, yeah, take over the account. Now, I, on now, Brittany, have you ever? I mean, this I didn't know that the Yankee hatred for Andrew went this deep. Um, have you ever purchased opposing teams' gear to root against the Rangers?
3: Actually, have an email from a close friend who's from Tampa, who is a Lightning fan, and um, he just—he might be getting tickets actually for us for one of the games through uh, clients and through work. So I might be able to go to MSG, and I said to him, the only way I'm going is if I am wearing a Lightning t-shirt. It is the only (laughs) way that I'm going. I mean, and he's going to be decked out in Lightning gear. He's from Tampa, Um, but I said. If I am down to go, I will be there. I will, but I am going to be a Lightning fan. I'm not going to be like one of those people who wears like a black shirt so that I'm not identifying with either fan base. I am so far identified with the Tampa fan base right now that it is just (laughs) unreal. Like, I, I, and he sent, he sent me a link from the t shirt. He said, What size do you want? I'll get it for you. So if we go, you have what you need. And I'm like, I'm, I'm down. It's like 15 bucks. Totally worth it. And I will paint my face like David Putty. I will paint my face with a lightning bolt going down my face. I will be the biggest Tampa fan at MSJ.
2: See, and, and okay. I'm okay. And I'm okay with that. I think the last time that Brit and I had a little a little Twitter battle was on the heels of Cap fans having cars wrecked in the Coliseum parking lot. <laughs> she called Ranger fans bougie dummies, uh, <laughs> and I just thought maybe you should like you know let let the let the capital drama die out before we start critiquing well, Ranger fans who would get well, to cost anybody.
0: Well, to be fair,
3: before the Caps Isles nonsense that went on, I called Rangers fans bougie dummies since I was two years old, and my parents taught me how to talk about the Rangers. <laughs> I've called since I've seen the Rangers on television with the entire lower-level bowl in button-down shirts with like cell phones and beepers in the 90s hanging off their pants. I never saw that at the Coliseum, so I, I had mean, to figure out a way to identify that fan base, and I guess the word bougie just tends
1: to fit. Well, if if your
4: parents are teaching the word bougie,
2: too, I like your parents, so there's that.
1: (laughs) Andrew, no, this is a good point, because, I mean, I'm watching Game 7, too, and, you, you know, you look beyond the glass, and I know the price and how expensive those seats are, but there's a lot of suits, there's a lot of sweaters, Ranger sweaters over the suits, you know, you're a Mets fan. You're that blue-collar, non-corporate fan when it comes. to Yes, baseball. I'm very blue-collar.
2: Very. What I'm is- going to build things later.
1: <laughs> I'm sure you built building some kind of thing for your your son or daughter. You got to put together some kind of toy. I'm I built actually built a wagon this morning.
2: morning. Good call, Joe. Yes, we did that. <laughs> that happened this morning. <laughs> there
1: you go. So, I mean, so what is the identity of the Ranger fan? Because I, I have a tough time because I know a lot of people go use that bougie corporate word, but at the same time, they're hockey fans. So, I mean, what is it?
2: Well, here, here's my honest assessment, and I don't, I don't. Clearly, part of the reason is, is a chunk of the clientele in the building, the top bowl, and whatever it is now. I forget the new number system since the renovation, but the are real people, quote unquote, are upstairs. Um, and it, what's what's been odd to me is the building is terrible. I mean, there's there's no arguing against when the Rangers are not playing well, the building's dead. And I don't know, but the the the, 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 the top ends of it. I mean, when Stepan scores. The place is bananas, and when the game starts, the place is bananas. And you know, the the press box of the Garden is on these new is on one of the bridges, so you're kind of suspended over the air And that thing, that bad boy, was swaying after Stepon's goal the other night. So the high end is there; like they know when to be happy. The weird thing to me is the people down there don't know what to do when the Rangers aren't playing well. They like let the Rangers sucking make them be sucky fans, uh, and and maybe that's to, to blame on who's down there. But that, that's been the one observation is I can't figure out why the building can sound so terrible, and rightfully so, when the Rangers are, were, are struggling. But the top end of it is pretty pretty damn loud.
1: Well, listen, I think if Brittany does end up going to a playoff game with her lightning T-shirt, and Andrew, you're there covering it for CBS <laughs> Sports Radio, you guys need a follow <laughs> well, off. You know what, I'm, I mean, in, I'm all, intrigued by the –
2: yeah, I'm intrigued by the lightning gear. If um if if we have time to raise some money, I might get like a I might buy like a Stan Nets cash lightning throwback to wear <laughs> for this game.
3: That'd be great.
1: <laughs>
2: or a Dave oh. Andrew Chuck. I could do that. We could we could raise money for that.
1: All right. Well, listen, Andrew Bogish, Brittany Cider, I appreciate you guys both being on. Enjoy Game 1 later today at the Garden. I think we're going to have a long series and I look forward to the pending Twitter battle between the two of you. <laughs>
3: yeah it right, to, too. I'll see you
1: on twitter all right take care guys.
3: Right,
1: interesting like a little a little uh a little surprised there. We'll have to react to it so uh if you want to give us a call, the number is six four six seven one six eight one eight seven we'll take a quick break uh, when we return we'll uh we'll recap a little bit of uh, our, our segment with Andrew bogish uh maybe talk a little uh talk a little uh, baseball. We have Kevin Kernan at uh, eleven a m joining us to talk baseball. Kevin Kernan from the New York Post so Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back.
0: It's the Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. Every Saturday between 10 and noon, Mike Silva and Joe Bono bring you the Weekend Sports with a New York slant. A one-stop shop of quality commentary, hard-hitting debates, intelligent guests, and entertaining pop culture references. Go to WeekendWatchDogs.com for an archive of the latest shows, iTunes subscription, and to contact the show. It's Weekend Watchdogs with Mike Sova and Joe Bono. Don't miss it.
1: Mike Silva, Joe Bono, Weekend Watchdogs, taking you all the way up till noon. The number to call in is 646-716-8187. Listen to the show live on replay we at weekendwatchdogs.com. Interesting, Joe. I thought for a minute when you said somebody was calling in, I thought we were going to get John Feinstein on. <laughs>
3: that was, I was like, oh, John Feinstein
1: It's going to be a big roundtable and uh, nothing against Britney Sider and the Isles blog. I know that they're very passionate. Um, so you kind of ambushed Bogish there. Um, a little bit. I mean, here's the deal. I, I don't think there's any doubt, and I know this is silly and it's talk radio nonsense. Every time the Isles blog is talk trash, it's blown up in their face this postseason. You know it. I mean, you have to admit it. You got angry at me when I pointed out the, the, the shot celebration after game two. But honestly, I, and I've had Rangers fans who, who I talk to off air, they're like, they, they you know I know that the, the, the Isles blog Twitter account starting to get some venom thrown at it. But they're like, hey, keep talking trash because every time that count does something like that, the Rangers, I mean, the Rangers at a minute 40, it was almost to the second as soon as the Isles blogged. You're decided, right. I love, listen, I love Brittany. I've had a lot of fun uh, watching, covering, talking Islanders with her this year in a one goal game, two goal game, 140 left. I may have touched, uh, you know, I may have put something out there. One goal game. There was no chance I was going to put anything out there. Um that was uh, I bet you a tweet she wished she had back, um, and uh, certainly I think she's heard her fair share on Twitter from people regarding that tweet. Um, but uh, yeah, listen, I think uh, you know. And to Andrew's point, right? Like you guys, you know, you and Mojo don't understand or want to understand why I root for the root against the Rangers as badly as I do. Listen, Andrew talked about uh, Mets Yankees. Right. Yeah, I. You're the little brother. It's right When you're the little brother, and no matter what you do, there'll be a perception that you can't overtake big brother in terms of perception and meaning and importance, etc. It is suffocating to be surrounded by the majority of fans that are some of them. The majority, I think, are absolutely diehard fans. But then you have to deal with a bigger bandwagon on top of that that you have to deal with as well. Like in, in New York City now, they have this Rangers Town um, bus that's handing out, you know, blue, red it. and white snow cones, <laughs> you know, during the day. Did you take one? Did and you take one, Joe?
0: You and so you know, while
1: this, this one girl on Twitter I know, Jessica, she actually posted a photo, Big Islander sent, she's like, you know what, it's 85 degrees outside, uh, yes, I will take your snow cone. Ah, and then Brittany quickly wrote back, cone. she goes, I would have taken it and then smashed it on the ground. So That's I right. mean, you know, she sticks to our principles, I guess. So you would have taken the snow cone, and eaten it. I would <laughs> not have taken the snow cone. You would have taken. I would not the snow have cone. taken the snow cone. No, you wouldn't no, have, no. Even if you were thirsty as heck, you would have not taken the snow cone to save a couple of bucks instead of go to the cart right next door. Uh, the little. Uh, no, you would have cart done cart that. that you would have done that to I'm save a couple of bucks. I would I'm not, have not done really. That. No, I'm, not, I'm really not a snow cone guy. The but number listen, is six four six seven one six eight one eight seven. By the way, if you want to call in know, and chime in about. Listen, you're an Islander fan now, and you're watching this. I mean, I'm watching Game 7 in overtime, and my heart is palpitating. Like, it is yeah. It is beating hard. Well, I My I told wife, you last week my wife was like, I'm like, I'm like nervous. That. My wife's like, why are you nervous? And I actually took her hand, and I placed it over my heart, and she was <laughs> beating crazy. And she was like, that is ridiculous. Your team is not even playing.
0: And I was like, played. no, you
1: don't understand. My team is playing, because my oh. team at that point is the Washington Capitals. And my team right now is the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I tell you what, as much as part of me wishes the Rangers were out of it and I wouldn't have any stress going forward, these series are much more enjoyable. Like, I'm paying attention regardless of what's happening in the NHL playoffs, but I won't miss a second of a game if if I'm able to when the Rangers are playing. Same way with the Yankees. When the Yankees were good in the postseason, I didn't didn't care if I knew that the ending was going to be bad for me. I was watching, and I'll be watching again later today. Yeah, no. And it was interesting what Andrew said regarding it's these Game 7s and, and, the like you just said, the heart palpitations. and I really believe that as a fan, you don't want those moments because, like you said, the whole time it's going on, you're uncomfortable. But if you really look back, I, I really think that's why you watch these games, they, whether it's the NBA or the NHL or any sport you're looking at. Not that you would get bored if your team had a dynasty and was sweeping through each dynasty, but I think that that's why you do this—to get the adrenaline, to get the rush. Um, the high is going to be high, the low is low. It's it's a, it's literally a tightrope, and it's you know a legal drug if you want to go that route where you know this is not right, good for you. You know it's unhealthy at times, but oh, it feels good if it comes out on the right, uh, the right way. And uh, certainly, I think you'd agree if you look back on a season on that quote-unquote championship video, would you want it any other way? I don't think so. You'd want it this way because that's the way the story unfolds, and that's where you sit back 10 years from now and say, I remember where I was and how people thought about it. Especially when the championships are few and far between. You know, if you're a Mets fan and you're in your uh, 30s or 40s, if the 86 team swept the 1986 Red Sox, it'd be a championship but that's all people have <laughs> to go on. Well, I mean, don't even think the Yankees 66, with, with how the Yankees would have been... won. Yeah, think about that. They had some moment. Like Everyone acts like the Yankees swept every series. Look, they were on the precipice in 96. The Indians had them down 2-1 in 98. They had to win in Cleveland. People forget that wasn't going to be an easy task. Winning in Cleveland. Uh, El Duque came up big in that game. Um, um, you know, you look at 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 against Oakland uh, in 2000, they were certainly on the ropes in that series. You know, they lost Game One. They were in Oakland. Uh, there was plenty of moments, plenty of times, and and I think 96, the way it worked, although you know you probably as a Yankees fan wanted to sweep that World Series or you wanted it a lot easier. There was a lot of great moments in that in that postseason, especially down two out the Laird's home run. You know, more people talk about the Laird's home run in that sense than I hear them ever talk about. Anything that happened in the postseason in 98, 99, nine, two thousand, I mean, they talk about the Laird's home run as that propelled the dynasty, or that. I mean, so many things could have happened without that home run,
0: and it's and again, extreme. in the moment the,
1: you don't like it, but you know, in the end, and you look back, you, it it. Why would you want it any other way? You know, we're making interesting segue and connections here, but what would you say out of that Yankee run was the the best moment? Ninety six. I would say. In a lot of ways, the most memorable and meaningful moments for a lot of fans, I would say, were games four and five against the Diamondbacks in a series they lost. Yeah, those were wild. I mean, those moments, I remember watching both those games, especially the second one, was it Brocious that hit the home run in game four? Where you just sitting, it was Martinez. It was Tina Martinez, the Tino Martinez. Tino in like, game four. And you're just like sitting there going, they can't be beat. I mean, at that point, I remember saying, this, is like, this team is like a vampire. They can't be beat. But I really think, I mean, you talk about, you can't be killed. I mean, there's no silver bullet. There's no stake in a heart. There's no garlic, whatever you want to call it. The, really, the thing about the Yankees brand that Andrew talked about, and it, it really started in 96. I mean, think of all the things that happened in 96. You had the Doc Gooden no-hitter. The Yankees had been bad for so long, and they weren't, this, you know, they weren't the highest payroll team in the league. They had a lot of veterans that, you know, had maybe failed in other places or left other places. And, you know, you had Joe Torre and his brother had uh, cancer, Frank Torre at the time, Joe Torre the loser, um, you, know, you know, never going to be Mayer. in the World Series. You know, Jeffrey Mayer, good Lord. I mean, he's, you know, got his five minutes of fame extended into 20 years. Uh, you have the World Series beating the Atlanta. I remember after they lost the first two games to the Braves, how people were comparing the American League and the National League to how the AFC and the NFC was with the the Buffalo Bills. Like, the Yankees just can't compete with the big, bad Braves. And then look what happens, you know, with all those Hall of Famers and what have you. Uh, winning game six, the stadium rattling, um, you know, with Joe Girardi. It was Joe Girardi's triple and beating Maddox and what have you. You really think beating, you know, that Yankees team on paper wasn't great. And beating the Braves with the kind of pitching they were getting. And their bullpen wasn't great. But the kind of pitching, the combination of pitching and offense, you know, was historic. So, again, you look back, I think Rangers fans will say it now, they want to sweep Tampa Bay, but you're going to look back, and the series is probably going to be long like every other series, and I'm sure if they go to the cup finals, if they play Chicago or Anaheim, that's not going to be a piece of cake. You'll appreciate it. I mean, don't you look back at 94 as a Rangers fan and – isn't it not talking you know, to me <laughs> i mean it, don't you think that that happened i mean there's you know everybody talks about mato 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 would they have wanted to win that game 6 nothing i'm sure but then you don't have mato 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 then you don't have um and know, some of the the moments remember the that, rangers though. were up 3-1 they won both games in vancouver were up 3-1 going home for a game 5
0: oh and that everyone, was the ultimate
1: deflated and everyone builder. was buying yeah and man they and they got you know, handed, got the you game know. handed to them uh, by the Canucks. I mean, shooting. they got split I mean, the them, right. exactly, in that game. Lose game six in Vancouver, and you're traveling to the other side of North America, you know, getting on right. a plane, so going all ride. the way to Western Canada, coming all the way back, a uh, game seven, um, 3-1 lead. Linden makes it 3-2. Got to sweat it out down the stretch. And uh, that made it that made it worth even that much more of the, worth the while. Right. So, Again, I while you're really watching your it, point. you're you're while you're watching it, you're like saying to yourself, "Why am I doing this to myself? Why can't I get something nice and and things like that?" But at the end of the day, that's what you sure. want. So we got Kevin Kerner of the New York Post joining us at uh, 11 o'clock. Uh, so we'll talk some baseball with him. Um, I guess it's a perfect segue. What we're talking about. So. Here's, before I, I get angry, because I'm going to probably get take angry. Take a deep at some breath. Think, like, take a deep breath. Will you take I'm a not, deep breath? Know, Sandy Olson said, take a deep breath. I just don't, I've always said the, the way that Sandy Olson just talks to the media. He's, look, he handles the media the way he handles it. He's not bad at it. Um, but I just, I always get angry when he talks because sometimes I feel like I'm not having a conversation. I'm being lectured. I don't want to be lectured by Sandy. But let's be pragmatic for a minute. Yankees started off three and six, didn't look good. Mets started off thirteen and three, and they're getting comparisons to you know 1986 and all that other stuff. I think when you see both of these teams who have basically slumped all week, and the way the media is now is so against what baseball is about. Because think about the week as we go into it, or think about the first seven weeks of the season. Baseball is not something where you can react day in and day out and have these daily narratives like the NFL you have to play it through the course of the season. It's a grind. It's a marathon. It's about being in the moment, the capsule, this, you know, today is a season. And as you build these derivatives, you all of a sudden you have yourself a mosaic of quality. And at the beginning of the week and Kevin Kernan, you know, of the post wrote about it, you know, we're talking about how Pineda is better than Harvey. And, you know, maybe the Yankees have the best young pitcher in, in, uh, in New York and, you know the Yankees are on fire and, and this team is, is headed for great things in the American League East. And now the Mets, after have their have 13 and 3 start and they were taking over New York, now they've been uh, seven and, and uh, uh, was it seven and 13 since then? Now the Mets are back to being the same old Mets and what have you. So I think the thing is the reality is that both of these teams are falling to where they are. The Mets are not a 700 plus winning percentage team. Currently constituted, they're on pace to win 90 games. That ain't bad. And the Yankees, I don't know. Let's let's before we, you know, you say Michael Pineda's better than Matt Harvey, let's see him pitch a full season. How about that? It's not always what your record is, it's how you got there. A lot of the times matters, and that here is one of the times where it matters, I think a lot right now with the Mets. Because an eleven game winning streak, elevated expectations. Expectations going into the year where the Mets should be a winning ball club. The Mets should be a team that is competitive for the wild card, either the first or second wild card, be playing, quote, meaningful games in September. All that said, when they won the 11 games in a row and were doing it in such a confident, matter-of-fact way as they were, and the pitching looked like the pitching was going to be real and you were getting some timely hitting and some other characters were coming up, guys like Eric Campbell with big hits, you know, and Montero pitching well in nice spots and all these kind of things and Dylan G going back into the rotation and pitching well. All these things were happening. It made you feel like, wow, maybe, maybe this is a 90 win team this year. Maybe they can have this magical out of nowhere run, out of nowhere type of season that other clubs do from time to time. And those expectations have put Terry Collins on the yep. hot seat for the first time in five years.
0: Because to this to so. the season
1: He had no expectations. His team's won mid-70s to high-70s games, and that's probably what the talent projected at so much. Uh, This year, I didn't think he could afford to be a losing team, but after the 11-game winning streak, Mike, he can't even afford to be an average team. They need to be a good, sound baseball team that's there all the time, and the way they've played the last five days Um, including some really questionable managerial decisions in Chicago, you wonder if this starts to heat up because I could not get it out of my mind watching the game yesterday that I'm watching Craig Council with zero managerial experience at any level, get a job with the Milwaukee Brewers and Wally Backman and what he's accomplished in the minor leagues. And what does he have to do to get a, to be part and of change here. And Frank Viola. I mean, Frank Viola, let's face it, it seems like everybody talks really highly of him. And I've interviewed Frank, and Frank talks highly about how Johnny Padres helped him when he was in the minor leagues with Minnesota, uh, helped him become a pitcher. Uh, look, to me, those are the stars. If I'm in the organization, those are the two guys I groomed to be, the pitching coach and the manager. There's nothing that these two guys, it, and Collins, have done to indicate that they're the future or that they're anything and Mike, more is than it a bit, your run-of-the-mill pitching coach and manager. And is it a bit of a this-is-what-the-fans-want type of move? Oh, but that's yeah, not what Sandy's it about. That's yeah, not know. Sandy's about. It's not about it. You know what? And it's right. It is a bit of a fans-what-the-fans-want type of move. But you're not going to give the fans what they want in terms of what the players are. You're not going to be able to make the trades the fans want. Can you do this? Can you do this? This is the easiest thing well, to do. Logistically, to get logistically now, Joe, it's tough. It's tough to do it in season. You have to go. You have to take. I mean, think of it from an organizational standpoint. Now you got to go to Vegas and get a new pitching coach and a manager. It sets a whole, you know, rip, ripple down effect. Uh, you know, maybe you just get Wally. You know, you have a coaching staff that you've already brought on. Uh, Kevin Long is one of them. I guess he's pretty much. I mean, a lot of times hitting coaches can be the way the front office fa- are. They're separate from.
0: How safe you know, from, is Kevin
1: Long? after last year where Dave Hudgens had to go uh, through and get fired. Yeah, and take the pro- I don't
0: blame the, the pro- him.
1: And I look at Kevin yeah. Long as a genius, and then, I mean, look how awful this offense has been. Probably as bad as it was at any point um, under Dave Hudgens in recent years. Look, nothing is just – my thing is this, and I know you – and know, I'll be curious to see what Kevin Curran thinks. My whole thing is this. It's not all Collins' fault, but what you saw in Chicago with the Harvey game where he was thrown into a little chaos when Buddy Carlisle of all people has an injury – he just didn't get... He used Familia after the game was pretty much lost. So at that point, you wasted an outing, in my opinion. you're going to use Familia, you start the inning with him. To me, you look at your bullpen and you say, okay, Torres is my long guy because he started and we're short, so we may need, for extra innings, three, four innings. That's your guy. Godel hasn't given up a run. You've got Gil Martin, lefty-righty situation. He'll get you through the eighth inning. And then you go to Familia, and maybe you bring Familia in for a four-out save because you did need that game. See, I believe... Not that that's going to be, like you said, momentum's only as good as your next day's uh, pitcher. But there are games on road trips that you kind of need to stop the bleeding and have a team take a deep breath because the game is as much mental as anything. And that was the game. And when the Mets needed Collins to help them, he wasn't there. 95% of the time and, and more, the players will carry the manager. But that 5%, when you need the manager, he's never there for them. And then, and Bob Clapish is right. Anytime things get tough, Terry looks like a deer in the headlights. The anxiety goes up. Um, um, you know, he starts the fake tough guy act. It's never his fault. I've never heard this guy come in after a post game and say, "You know what? You're right. Maybe I should have thought about that move." There's always a Tora's, reason. Tora started, and not the only night. that, you know, not only that, it's like you know, bullpen management is just too complicated for you laymen to understand. Trust me, Terry. Put me in that dugout, and I wouldn't get the respect of the players maybe like you because I'm not a baseball lifer. I could manage that bullpen, and I know how they've managed that bullpen in the past, especially with how they've abused players by warming them up at at abusive levels. And to me, if I'm Sandy Alderson, who in his own book that came out was 50-50 on Collins coming back, I mean, what's there? Now, I think you're kind of stuck with this guy this year. Um, Let, Let me ask you a question would they if if the mets could be 10 12 games over 500 at the all-star break with Terry Collins as manager or fall to being 500 after this 11 game winning streak you know second place third place in the division at the all-star break and they would make a move for Wally Backman which which route would you choose would you rather be in a position to make the playoffs with Terry Collins as your manager or with this large bump in the 2015 road season road if it got Wally Backman to the majors would you want that route I don't think Wally Backman's ever going to manage the Mets so I, I think you know you might get Ron Garden hired God help us if you get Bob Guerin um you know I really don't know what Collins wants out of a manager because I think if I'm the manager of the Mets I'm putting Wilmer Flores either as a super sub at a different position and I'm basically saying today look Wilmer we're not about development this year and what, right now, the shortstop position is clearly a developmental position. There's nothing, not his range, there's nothing about his throwing process that tells you he's a shortstop. Watch how he throws. He, he winds up. There's no, you're anxiety right. every throw. There's anxiety every throw because he's thinking about being accurate. And I think part of the problem, and I, again, I'm playing junior you know, coach and scout here, is that he gets the ball. A lot of the runners are fast, and because he has this mechanical windup, he knows he's got to get it over there quick, or and he's, got a gunning, he's got to throw it over there with a lot of velocity. He's got to throw it over there with a and lot of velocity. Yeah, he's just there's a lot of excuse me, there's a lot of thought going into this, and it's like slow, 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 slow throw, and, and, and it's a mess. So, um, by the way, we hope to have Kevin Kernan join us later this uh, later this hour. The number six four six seven one six eight one eight seven. If you want to pop in, we talk Rangers, talk a little Take baseball a here. Take a deep breath. Yeah, and that's just the the typical Sandy Alderson um, condescending way of talking to the media and to the fans. And to me, at this point, I love for – and I don't know if anybody asked this question this way in that group of reporters. Maybe they did after the cameras are off. What about the process in Flores tells you that he can play the position? You don't you certainly you see you certainly it is a valid point because at the major league level you see hitters sometimes develop over time they figure it out you know they have a track record of hitting um, they struggle when they get called up but they eventually figure it out very rarely especially at a premier defensive position do you see a guy go from average or below average to become an adequate to above average fielder. I can't remember the last time I saw a player that everyone knew was a poor defensive player and over time developed into an average or good def- good defender. I, maybe people, um, have, people have struggled with well, aspects of their game like if you know someone had a throwing issue for a while and then they figured it out and then it was you know moved on from there. For Flores, his range is average at best. I 100% agree with you on the windup. You know, you look at guys – I mean, how many shortstops did we grow up watching that, you know, would do this, you know, three-quarter sidearm throw to first and it would get him by a step? Just get him by a step. Every time, just get him by a step. And um, right. he, he he feels the ball, takes a step, winds up, has a full pitcher's delivery and has to gun it over there. And that's why a lot of these yeah. balls are sailing and drifting on him. Yeah, no, that's true. and And, and that's the part which I don't get. Uh, where this team's going um, and again I don't think the Mets are all of a sudden like everybody said a, a terrible team nor do I think that the Yankees are as bad as they've played uh, although I think there's serious flaws on both of these teams I think when you look at the league and now that Fister is out for the Nationals and you look at the for American League and you're t- uh, forearm tendonitis which that's just is good. everything that's what Chase Whitley right. Had. right all right let's take let's take a quick break we got Kevin Kern of the New York Post joining us we'll see what he thinks You're listening to the Weekend Watchdogs. Mike Silva, Joe Bono will be right back. Nick's beat writer for the New York Daily News, Frank Gaisola joined the Weekend Watchdogs. Maybe it wasn't the plan, but maybe this is the best thing. They're bottoming out. They could get a top pick, like you said, and eventually, in the next two to three years, rebuild this the right way. I understand Carmelo's limitations and the age, but maybe this was the best thing overall, even if it wasn't the plan. And I know you don't share that opinion, but you got to at least give some credence to that thought.
0: I just laugh at it because I think, you know, you know what the, um, the movie or the Broadway play, the producers, is when like you know, they're trying to come up with the yes. worst play possible to go out of business, <laughs> and then it turns out to be a hit? The Knicks are like the opposite of them. Phil thought he was putting together a hit. Instead it turns out to be a disaster and everyone's like, He's a genius, look what he's doing. We're gonna get a lottery pick away we'll all this catsmates. That's the part that makes me laugh about it. But I think it is the smart play right now, absolutely, uh, to do what they're doing. I don't I don't have a problem with it.
1: Listen to the weekend watchdogs every Saturday, ten to noon on Blog Talk Radio.
0: Mojo. Mojo we We're behind fast, you know fast and furious. When you're behind five to nothing and I
1: don't th- I don't think he thrown 30 pitches yet and it's five to nothing. That's you know, that gets your attention. It certainly
0: we've lost a lot of good players, but you know you, you still have to go and play the game, do the little things right. You know, you got to execute some stuff, you got to move runners along as best you can. You know, we had some balls good tonight, but you know they're all basically all fly balls. We got to get we, we just got to start doing some little things better.
1: All right. Weekend Watch Dogs, Mike Silva, Joe Bono. Joining us, America's favorite sports writer from the New York Post, at Wears Kernan on Twitter, Kevin Kernan. Kevin, Mike Silva, Joe Bono, how you doing? What's going on?
5: Uh, doing great, fellas. Just watching New York baseball disintegrate, but that's life. That's life in New York. <laughs> no,
1: but, but Kevin, look, I mean, in the era of hot takes and 24-7 media, baseball doesn't fit the media these days because it's, it's a little derivative within the big part of the season – And the Mets are not as good as they started out, but they're probably not as bad as what they are now. Same for the Yankees. Um, Do you think we all need to, like Sandy Alderson says, take a deep breath and just put perspective on this?
5: Well, you you need to take a deep breath, but uh, you also, and that's one of the points I made in the column, you need to take a deep breath and see what's really going on with your team, not just the fans and the players and everything, but, but management has to take a deep breath and say, you know, we're, we're cramming we're, Wilmer Flores on Everybody's throw a major league shortstop. And, and, fellas, you know me. I'm honest. I see what I see. I wrote the very first week of the season. You know, I gave the kid spring training. But he's a nice kid. He works hard. Um, but I've never been high on him as a shortstop. He's got bad feet, bad arm, long arm action. I, you know, but I saw him play that first week, and I wrote the column that first week. This is a joke. He's not a major league shortstop. And so... This is one area where management has to take a deep breath and say, you know, I know we don't think defense is important. That's not our thing. Um, uh, we, we believe in, you know, getting on base and home runs and all that stuff. But And Wilmer Flores can hit a home run here and there. But they got to look at it and say, it's destroying our team. I mean, pitchers, you can tell the pitchers don't, you know, they cringe every time a ball sits shortstop. And I'm not making it about one guy. But then you can take a deep breath and, and reevaluate, maybe get a – at least get a halfway decent shortstop and play him a few times a week and then take the pressure off Wilmer and play him a few times. And the things that crack me up more than anything these days is where they're so worried about the play uh, player's psyche. Uh, we you know, we, we don't want him to start thinking, you know, losing his confidence. Forget it. You know, it's the major leagues. If you can't play, you can't play. And move him to third base, what do you got to do? If you want to get his bat in the lineup, fine. You know, but don't don't tell me he's a major league shortstop and then – and then tell me, you know, we're fine. Because you're not fine. He's not a major league shortstop. That's one of their problems, and they got to clean it up. It's it's that simple.
1: Kevin, that's one of their problems. But with all the injuries, the Herrera injury, a freak injury, during drills yesterday, um, David Wright still not ready, Eric Campbell now up, um, they're running out of internal possibilities. They're trying to infuse this lineup with some kind of energy and excitement. I mean, the only guy that's really left out there, and a lot of people are clamoring for his call-up, was Matt Reynolds. So you have this issue at shortstop with Wilmer Flores. You have Reynolds, who hit all year last year, is hitting again at AAA again this year for Wally Backman. Um, Is he ultimately the best option if this continues? Um, Or do you think they would take it away and just give it back to Tejada, who's been good defensively?
5: Well, Tejada has played better, you know, but he's another one. They they, they stuck with Tejada way too long. They just don't make decisions quickly. Um, you know, Tejada, you can see, I wrote about it two years ago. Everybody was telling me he's in better shape. I go to camp, I look at him, and he's fat. And I said, what, are you kidding me? But, you know, we, we have a bunch of lemmings sometimes writing, too, as well. And they just they just repeat whatever management tells them. And and that got me in a little bit of hot water with everybody, but it was the truth. So, they. They stuck with Tahada too long. Tahada has some talent, I understand what they're saying. But um, you know, the bottom line here is you're right, if they don't if the internal things aren't there, and that's another point I made in my column today was you know, Sandy still has all his pitching chips and uh, you know, he needs he needs to go out and investigate, see even find himself a hitter. If he can find find himself a hitter that's a short stuff, that's doubly doubly good and, and go from there. But there aren't that many. If you're counting on Eric Campbell to turn it around for you, come on. Let's go. I mean, that's. I'll probably write about that in my early again tonight. You know, we people don't understand how our business works too. We have to write a column before the game, during the game, and after the game. So, so, so you're writing three stories before before you even uh, you know get to your, to your 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 final edition one. But there's lots of problems there. Again, it's not the end of the world though because I don't think anybody. The, the good thing is the Mets have the winning streak. They still have great pitching. They're number two in in, in Major League Baseball in the RA. And that speaks volumes. So if you can just get a, a little bit more defense, a little bit more hitting, you should be fine.
1: Kevin does what you saw in Chicago with Matt Harvey, and, and I know I'm, I sometimes go to the top. I'm critical of Terry Collins. You mm-hmm. saw the again an example. He just doesn't manage a bullpen, you know, like some of the great managers have. And and I feel like he's not going to be the difference maybe 95% of the time, but that five percent when you really need Collins. To you know, in that game they really needed. I felt he completely botched the bullpen, and and to me that's a big problem. Sandy himself and his book, or the book that was written about him, was not sure about bringing him back. Can, do you think they could win with this manager? I know the Flores situation is not his fault, but let's put all things aside. Can they really win with this guy at the helm?
5: I think they could if they had a shortstop. I think that would go a long way to help them, and and obviously one more hitter. You gotta really step back. Because, I mean, I look at Girardi, too. He screws his bullpen up left and right all the time. Guys are worn out and uh, by by August. and I think that's my prediction for the Yankees. But when we come to August, they're going to be exhausted all the way through. I mean, him bringing in Batanzas, the game I was at the other day, was, you know, was, was silly. Managers, you know, who really runs their bullpen smart these days? They're, they're just, I think so much has been taken out of the managers' hands, um, you know, that the that, 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 they're they're afraid to do things now, and and that's why I love managers like Bruce Bochy. And Bochy has his problems too with his bullpen here and there, because you never know with bullpen. But you gotta give a manager a carte blanche, and if he screws it up, at least it's on him. And then he, if he gets fired, it's his decision. I sometimes wonder, you know, how do they run things with the Mets if 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 he has that kind of carte blanche. Um, having said that, yeah, he can't afford to make this team. I, and that, that's another point. Again, this column today covered everything. You have to find it at worst turn on Twitter. Um, but the problem is, if he doesn't clean it up right now, he's out too. And I pointed that out. I mean, the pressure's on him too. He he mentioned last night, Terry mentioned last night, jobs on the line. Well, his job is on the line as well, and I'm sure he knows all this. And he has no room for mistakes. So, so when they have those kind of games where they have a lead um, or, you know, uh, the tough thing is with with uh, a close game with this team is you know you're not going to have get attack on runs so he's going to have to start managing every bullpen situation like it's a seventh game in the world series he really does and i do urge enough he's got he's got to clean that up a little bit and if he doesn't i i think definitely you know gms never fly themselves i've been covering baseball for a long long time and um you know i've 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 seen it all the time it's not the gms fault until it gets so bad that everybody sees it's the GM's fault. It's always the manager's fault first. So that's the next line we're going. It was the hitting fault, and the hitting coach wasn't bad last year. I thought he didn't, he didn't, he didn't grasp what was going on. But you know, Kevin Long unfortunately has been sidelined because the two guys that he made so much progress with this year, you know, two of the guys that I thought he did a great job with in spring training, with David Wright and Travis Darno, Darno, and I think I told you on the show probably two years ago. I, I love Gornell. I think he, he's an underappreciated player. And losing him out of that lineup, they took a lot of power away. Especially that you know when they were hitting him lower, and then when they moved him up, he really was. Uh, that, that that that's turned out to be a dreadful, dreadful injury.
1: Kevin, one last thing about the Mets before we move to the Yankees. This was supposed to be about 2015 about winning, and you made the point mm-hmm. it's never the mm-hmm. GM's fault. But here's what I would ask Sandy, and maybe he's been asked this. This is clearly now about development of Flores at short. You're developed at the position like shortstop that you're basically doing extended spring training uh, experiment here. Why? Isn't this about winning? Because to your point, you said it. I, they cannot win. They couldn't win with Murphy probably with a good shortstop, but I think Murphy with a good shortstop is palatable. They cannot win with this up-the-middle defense. I don't care if they have Cy Young every day of the week. That's my question. Why are we doing development stuff still?
5: Well, that's that's the point I've been making all year. I mean – the Murphy uh, Flores combo is the worst possible development for a good pitching team. And we expect to win. And, and I think in the back of their mind, you know, they always had 2016 as a date, you know, for some reason, is where they're really going to put it together. You know, it's like they really count since 2016 for some reason. So I, I still think they're giving themselves a little. Little playroom, and I agree with you. It's, it's if it's a first of all, if it's about winning, Wilma Flores should never be at shortstop. I mean, oh, I, I hate to be so basic on this, but he can't play shortstop in the major leagues. All, uh, you know, I, I talked to people in the Mets organization uh, throughout the organization, so it's not just major league coaches. This guy, this guy, you know, and uh, and, and they, if you look at his footwork, you're asking a player to do something he can't do. It's not fair to the player. Wilmer Flores can do a bunch of things. Maybe he could have been the answer as a third base backup. Maybe, maybe utility guy. I'm not saying he can't play a shortstop in certain occasions, but he can't be your everyday shortstop. The game hasn't changed. Look at Lagaris in center field. They kind of, if you remember, if you go back a couple of years, they loved Ben Decker over Lagaris. Ben Decker was their guy, not Lagaris. A few years later, Lagaris, you know, Gold Glove, future, him multi-year, you know, sign him the zillion dollar contracts. So. Sometimes they got to be pointed in the right direction, and um, uh, they have to understand that Flores isn't the answer. And I would give it—I I, I would not have thought twice about it. I would have called them Matt Reynolds last night. I, I mean, I would have. And I—I I still, I'm also the elk too, because you're talking about a hardliner here. I would have traded Murphy a long time ago. I just don't see Murphy as a good fit for this team.
1: Kevin, one more Met question before we move over to the Yankees, because I wanted to get your thoughts on Syndergaard's performance in Chicago at number one, and number two, since the G injury is not serious and Dylan was pitching quite well prior to that injury, do you think it's a matter of Gardner, regardless of how he performs, going back to Vegas, or then do they put, you know, now with the Buddy Carlisle injury, does G go back into the bullpen, which was the original plan before the Zach Wheeler injury?
5: G goes back to the bullpen. If they, don't, they they have to understand that, I'm, I'm sure they do, and, they, uh, you know, They've done a good job, pretty much developing the young pitching. Even though a lot of it came from, uh, you know, the previous previous administration, but I think um, Syndergaard. Knowing Syndergaard's personality, I think it would be a step back for him mentally if he got if he got sent down again. I think you got to ride Syndergaard out now. We'll let him learn here a little bit. Let him let him figure some things out. His stuff, his stuff plays. We see that already. His stuff plays. So I think uh, you know. G, to me, I've always thought from day one, G should be in the bullpen. Shouldn't have been no question. If it was me running the show, I, I would have probably had Syndergaard up a little earlier, and I would have G in the bullpen earlier. And I'll tell you what, too, I haven't seen him lately, but when I saw him at the end of spring training, the best pitcher uh, other than Matt Harvey that the Mets had was Steven Matz. So I would also have Matts up here, too. I, I would be young guns crazy with this team right now, and it would, it would create an energy um, and, um, and and I think you, that's how you would get through everything right now. It's the only way to beat the Nationals now. Nationals are starting to come on. It's going to be a little tougher for the Mets. But I've all, I felt all along they were they were a wild card team. And then if they get to the playoffs, if they make one more move, because I felt too. This is one of the reasons because I was the I'm the guy I'm the guy I picked up for the the Mets to go to the World Series. But here's my thinking: they have the good young pitching. They don't have enough hitting. They will have a slump in, in the middle of the year where they see they have to go out and get a good hitter. They're going to go out and get a good hitter. They're going to plug a hole, and all of a sudden they're going to be a much better team. And in the short series with that pitching staff, anything can happen.
1: Kevin, when you talk about the Yankees, I agree with you. I mean, the Yankees are almost like how the Mets were toward the end there with Willie Randolph. I had about seven or eight players that you really needed to come through. The roster was top-heavy. You got Gardner and Ellsbury. You got to hope that one of the big guys pops a home run to score. You got the end of the game, which is amazing, and, and then you've got uh, Pineda, and then you know maybe if Tanaka comes back, and then you muddle through with the rest. Uh, is this a team that can, in a watered down league right now, doesn't look like anybody's stepping up? Can they be a playoff team? Can they continue to be the cream of the crop in the American League?
5: Well, right now the AL East is horrible, and um, it's a clown show, really. And um, I, I think they could make the playoffs simply because of that. The one team I, you know, Toronto, if they had straight, if these Toronto's young pitchers come through, they got a chance. I still like Baltimore. They, they've had some tough luck with injuries and, and they need a little pitching help. And if they go out and make a move, they got a chance. But I still think the Yankees certainly can make the playoffs out of the, uh, now that I've seen enough of the ALEs, they certainly can. Now, the Red Sox went all in on hitting and left themselves short pitching. If the Red Sox make a move for a starting pitching, starting pitcher, I think a really good starting pitcher. Because said I watched this game last night when I got home. Pitched well finally, and um, you know, in a big game, they lost that game in Seattle. Talk about manager moves. Not, not to get sidetracked, but two outs, uh, ninth inning, man on second base. Nelson Cruz, off best hitter in baseball, hitting fourth thirty, I think, in May. John Farrell pitches to him. And, and he, he gets a base hit Wins the game So that that's the AL East in, in a nutshell right there So certainly the Yankees And one thing Cashman has shown in the past Is that he can make an adjustment this season And bring some help in So I, I think the Yankees could be in there I've talked to scouts who think, who think they're going to Completely fall apart and, and, and decompose uh, Right before our eyes So we'll see
1: what happens Kevin Curran in New York Post Our guest a couple more questions with him You know, Michael Pineda, um, after his performance, the 16 strikeouts, people talking about is Pineda, you know, the best pitcher in New York more so than Harvey. Now, he's never going to get in terms of the, you know, the overall appeal and the Madison Avenue and the E60 and all that kind of stuff. But despite the loss um, last night, I mean, with the Tanaka injury, him having to become an ace, that's probably the biggest positive. I think, of this Yankee season, that Pineda, when his slider is on, uh, really, that number one star, they traded Jesus Montero for a couple seasons ago.
5: Yeah, he's terrific. And, you know, I'm one of those people who think that, you know, I was say with that game, that 16 strikeout performance was the best I've seen. But, again, I look at things a little differently. And we know, you know how much energy it takes to strike out 16 guys these, these, these days. That oh, would wow. have been a perfect, yeah, it would have been a perfect example to know. First of all, I Pineda would have been on a short leash, if possible. I would have gave him an extra day's rest. And I think what he blew I didn't see the game, but I guess he blew up in the sixth inning last night. Um, it's real hard to come back from that. And that's one of the things he has to learn, and that's where mental toughness comes in. And that's where Matt Harvey still has it over anybody. There's nobody mentally tougher in my mind, probably in baseball right now, uh, maybe Bryce Harper than Matt Harvey. And, um, and Pineda, though, he's got to be the rock. He's got to be the race. He's got to learn from this. And, and uh, you know, one of those games where you strike out so many guys, the next game, you, your whole game plan has got to be uh, to to mishit the ball. Now, I don't want to get too technical here, but they get so much emphasis on strikeouts coming up for the minors and everything. Some guys have forgotten, which the great pitchers did through all the years that I've covered baseball, you know, Jack Morrison going way back and stuff like that, guys I covered. They, they, they get batters to mishit the ball. In other words, they put the – they put It's like Hubie Brown used to do. He used to, he used to leave the team's worst uh, shooter unguarded sometimes for a wide-open shot, thinking he would miss it. Same thing with, with pitchers. Pineda's got to learn to get a few more outs uh, via that route, and he will. He's uh, I, I'm impressed with how he's come along mentally, too, because this was a kid who was a mess. You know, we all know about the incidents and and stuff like that. But I was impressed seeing him in spring training because he kind of picked C.C. He, Sabathia's brain every day. He had the young pitchers around him, and he was very—he's a very good athlete. That's another thing people don't understand about Pineda. He's a very good athlete. He can feel his position, so he's one of the best things that's come along for the Yankees, and they need to ride him.
1: Kevin, I know how much you like advanced stats, and you have your own—the the Kernan FX, and I know Kernan exit FX, velocity. Exactly. Yeah, exit mm-hmm. velocity is one of your favorite when it comes to hitting. One of my so When you look of my at Beltron. Beltron to share a rod. The Yankees really need these guys. and McCann. They need these guys to hit. They need these guys to be maybe not peak elite, but to be consistent. I think that's where scouts are are like you said before are looking for the Yankees to disintegrate. You watch a lot of baseball. Do these guys have it in them over the course of a long season to be well, one, what the Yankees need them to be?
5: Mike, no, no, not over the course of a long season. They got to pick their spots for these guys. They only got certain things left and they're going to Run into dry spells and things like that, especially with the game is now with certain things taken out of the game. Um, And, you know, the whole exit velocity thing is the biggest pile of junk I've ever seen in my life, simply because (laughs) we are watching the game. We're watching the game. We're, We're there. When a guy hits the ball hard, we see it. We hear it. We see it. It's right in front of us. Why do I need Somebody to tell me that Mike Stanton's hitting the ball hard when I just saw him hit one off the pavilion out 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 in Dodger State. This these stats I'm telling you right now, and I I put a lot of thought into this, and I figured out why these stats have been developed. Originally, I thought it was they were they were trying to create you know uh, new information to an extent they were, but now these stats are being developed simply because. Guys who are in charge of baseball who don't know baseball have something they can look at and figure out. In other words, they wouldn't know exit velocity if it was right in front of them, which it is. I just went for the Yankees on a road trip a few years ago, and I won't mention who, but when somebody from their front office was there, and all doing batting practice and all doing before games. I wasn't with him doing games. He was looking at his iPad in the dugout, and yeah. he never took his eye off his iPad. And I'm saying, I'm saying to myself, do you ever watch the batting practice? Do you ever? You can learn so much. You don't need those numbers. You know, you, you don't. You, I, I, it was funny too. I went to Beltran. I said, you know, Carlos, they say you have the second exit velocity in the team. And he goes, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> and this is the guy. And I explained to him. I explained to him. I said, Carlos, this is what the nerds put upstairs do to make themselves important. <laughs> and he started laughing. So the real good for players,
1: it's good for job security, Kevin. Too remember, you create well, job, like the industry. that's
5: what it is. It creates another layer of management that just runs some more BS down. And guys who don't know baseball can say something where it sounds like they know baseball. Like they have to, be, they have to be told that Giancarlo Stanton has good exit velocity. Okay, uh, I don't think I want to run <laughs> my team. But that's, but that's another subject in itself. And that's why, uh, that's why sometimes I get in arguments with people in baseball.
1: Kevin, uh, before I let you go, what can we expect at where's Kernan on Twitter? Anything, uh, any special projects coming up? Anything you want the listeners to know about as they follow, like I said, America's favorite sports writer around Twitter and and the blogosphere and the newspaper and everything?
5: Well, the um, I will be. Um, I'm actually going to take a few days off to. to uh, I'm taking a deep breath uh, after a few days, but uh, I will be on the. It's going to be interesting because I'll be on the. I'll be on the next West Coast trip with both the Yankees and the Mets. Depending where they're going, and West Coast trips are vital. I mean, uh, you know, and and because um, you really see a team bonding come together or fall apart, and uh, it's going to be an important trip for both those teams. I'll have to decide where I want to go on June first, second, and third because the Yankees are in Seattle and the Mets are in San Diego. But after that, you know, I I always got something special going. Just you know, I'll keep everybody informed on where where's Twitter and and actually, Andy McCullough, the former Yankee writer, he was the one who. Uh, um, came up with America's Most Beloved sports writer because we were in Boston, and it, that, of course, is America's Most Beloved uh, Ballpark, and I took a selfie of myself with Fenway in the background, and, and he looked at it, and he said, ah, America's Most Beloved Sportswriter. So that's so. even though I kid with it and I mention it on Twitter, I, 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 I don't take it totally seriously, but uh, I didn't come up with a nickname, but I'll certainly uh, take it. <laughs> Your
1: exit velocity. <laughs> Your exit velocity, yeah. Kevin was 96.3. I'll leave you with that. All right. My
5: exit velocity is always strong. You can count on that, fellas. All
1: right. Have a good day, Kevin. Thanks a lot. Take Thanks, care. Kevin.
5: Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Joe.
1: That was a good segment, Joe. <laughs> I mean, listen, I don't want to take credit, but I said this five years ago, and people like, had death threats to my email when I wrote that all these stats, and I like some of them. Some of them are good, and, and you can learn a lot. But the basic stats are really weird. if you piece them together, you can learn everything you need to know. All these, as they get deeper and deeper, it's all job creation. Well, it's also – and it's also a way for people to um, speak optimistically about people they overpaid for or brought in. Sure. You know, it's, um, oh, well, he's two for his last 22, but we're really encouraged by his exit velocity. Think about this, Joe, as someone who knows a little bit about banking. Now that teams are just so valued in the billions, individuals like George Steinbrenner, uh, you know, how Nelson Doubleday bought the Mets, an individual entrepreneur like a Mark Cuban, you really can't buy teams by yourself anymore because you need $3 billion to get that kind of liquidity is not easy for anybody with any kind of wealth other than very few people in this country. So you've got these hedge fund guys or these groups who all came up through the banking system, through business. Who are used to the multi-layer of analytics to analyze, you know, the stock market and, the, and their money and what have you. And I think a lot of that is why it's happening because that's what they know, uh, that's what they grew up with through their uh, learnings and their successes in the world of business. So why not bring that to baseball? And there's no doubt some of this stuff is good, but we got to put it in perspective. Get this very oh, and also, basics. Mike, the technology is not that complicated. You know, Kev- you know, Kevin talks about a guy looking at his iPad while in the dugout when the action's in front of him. The technology that's available, the amount of statistics that are available now makes it where you don't have to be have a scout's eye, a scout's ear to go to the games and really watch a player um, night in and night out. Really start to get to know that player, understand them, et cetera, because you have all these other tools. So the thought is that you can do it from a cubicle in an office. Sure, yeah. Or your fantasy team. And look, do I, do I say I can manage a bullpen? Yeah, I, I can, but here's the thing. I could manage the Yankee and Mets bullpens because I watch the game. Can I manage the Kansas City Royals bullpen? I don't watch the Royals every day. I don't watch the Padres every day. Uh, you have to watch these players. And you could say all you want about exit velocity, um, but there's also the process, and it's watching the game and understanding what kind of counter hitter puts themselves in. Wilmer Flores, I don't need UZR to tell me anything about Wilma Flores because it's going to tell me the guy gets the balls. I get it. Wilma Flores has range. Um, that's not the issue. Kernan hit it right on the head. The guy can't play the position because his arm is long. And then mentally he's thinking about the long arm. Like we just said this point came out. The long arm. And listen, what does it take about some of these major leagues? Maybe three seconds to get down the line? Maybe, you know, like. It's a little it's longer than quick. that. It take it out. Take out about the six, base. four seconds. No, well, <laughs> D Gordon. You don't think it takes about four seconds for you to no, get down? T- no, it takes quick. It takes no. It's a lot. I mean, it's it's just, a lot. listen and here, about, to the overall point. Think about what's going through your head. Going well, through the your head. Overall is the overall point, coming. Mike. If you watch enough baseball, whether on TV, in person, et cetera, within five minutes of watching Wilmer Flores field ground balls, you know he's just not your prototype shortstop. And at the major league level you're playing shortstop a premier position the premier defensive position you want a guy who is built to play that sport so i I never got down the line very quickly mike they when i was in high school they used to make i was slow i've always been a slow runner and as a catcher luckily you get the courtesy runner you know you get the hit you get off so So um so they would have me run and i would get about Halfway down the line, maybe three quarters down the line at first, and they would let, when this is at the end of practice, and then our fastest player would then start running. And if he caught me, I'd have to do it again. And that you talk about, it, that's the closest I've ever come to like running scared. Like if there was danger, <laughs> you know, like you trying to get like that speed of like, so you all your teammates are around watching, they're hooting, they're right. hollering, they're yelling, and yep. you just hear these pitter patter of feet behind right. you, and you're just gasping as you're trying to make the cut the right turn to get home. So you don't got to do this again. Let's go Scary to the phone stuff. lines. I think, I think this is our buddy Elwood from Indianapolis on the Skype line. Elwood, you're on with Mike and Joe.
0: Hey, guys. Good show. Enjoying it. It's, uh, Nice to get some baseball news. Uh, What's going
1: on out there in the great Midwest?
0: Uh, a lot of IndyCar talk. Is, and Good Lord. And then when they don't talk about that, it's the evil Patriots and Gate and the second coming of luck. And, wow. Well, so, yeah, it's nice to have some baseball talk. Hey, before I get to my topic, though, uh, the Mets need to shape up because last night at the bar I had on my Mets fan and I had to take flack from Cubs fans. So we need to step this up, you know. Well, jeez.
1: That was a rough series. That was a, a rough series in Ridley, with, without oh, question. I have, I I have a friend Chicago. in Chicago. Friend in Chicago texted me the stuff. exact same response mm-hmm. at the end yeah. of each game, four straight days.
0: Try being an Indy with—I mean, there's more Cubs fans here than Mets fans, so it, it's. Just, yeah, I know. I went to the sports shop to get me a Mets hat, and he said, "Nah, we don't got Mets hats." And I said, he said, I said, but you got like 50 Colorado Rockies hats. He said, yeah, but Peyton Plath. Oh, I'm out of here. Peyton plays in Colorado. <laughs> but hey, what I called about was you guys were talking. Trust me, it's Indianapolis. Hey, what I called about was you guys were talking about the stats, and nobody ever brings this up, but before the Internet and computers, stats weren't really that helpful. They might be on a baseball card, which was two years old, or in a magazine that was three months old, or you'd get it in a newspaper from a week ago. I mean, we can now get live stats that matter that can be applied to real circumstances. I mean, and we can get so many of them, and we can get the ones we want. You know, it is a whole other ball of wax. I mean, you might have I think got the some question, the paper, but you got one the, the hmm? Sorry, go ahead.
1: No, I think the issue, Elwood, though, is that have people in the front office, have scouts, etc., decided that they would rather rather use the stats that are coming in through the computer screen and use that more so than watching the eye, you know, using their eyes and using their ears and just understanding the personal side of the game and just trust what a ball player is supposed to do, what they're supposed to look like, how they're supposed to run the bases, how they're supposed to feel the ball, how the ball is supposed to look off their bat and sound off their bat. Are we now at the point where most of, the, most of the teams in Major League Baseball are driven by printouts and driven by you know, algorithms within a computer program than they are people watching the talent. And thanks again, the, as the, always, the, for the call. And Thanks for the call, Elwood. Here's the thing. What you need to learn about stats if you want to go basic, it's very simple if you want to analyze a ball player without ever seeing them. For pitchers, you look at their walk to strikeout ratio. ratio. Um, very simple. Uh, pitchers who have you know six, seven, eight strikeouts per nine innings, if they miss more bats, they're going to be more successful. If you see someone who has four walks per nine and four strikeouts per nine, they're going to struggle. The bottom line: the more contact, the more likely they're going to give up hits. It's not the end all be all because you look at a guy like Doug Fister we just mentioned, who doesn't strike out a lot of guys, but gets a lot of ground balls. That's the other thing. What kind of what's their ground ball rate? It's not that hard. These are basic numbers. They're not. You don't have to get exit velocity and all that other stuff. As far as hitters, on-base percentage, you know, I hear Keith Hernandez talk about how it's a sabermetric stat. It's basically a combination of the counting stats, walks and hits. I mean, slugging percentage is the number of extra bases. These are not complicated numbers. OPS is just combining the on-base percentage and the slugging, and then you've looked throughout history where people stood, and when you get like a 1,000 OPS, you're a Hall of Famer. When you're over 800, you're pretty darn good. When you're below 700, you're not. I mean, this is not, I mean, the, all, they've created an industry, and God bless them, because people need jobs, but they've created an industry based on very simple methods and act like, well, this is much too, it's like Terry Collins with his bullpen management. This is a little bit hard for you laymen to, uh, to grasp. I grasp it. You now, can I do all the war and all those complicated formulas behind some of this stuff? I go sometimes to Baseball America, and I read some of these stat columns. I, look, I'm, I'm very data-driven but on basic data, because you can learn a lot from basic data. Some of these columns with their derivatives and stuff, Joe, it's absurd. I don't know who who reads this stuff other than it's, a mathematician. Um, it's over-engineering. It's, over it's boring. And the NBA is starting to go that route on a, on a large level. And I think you we talked about, I think, with uh, Brett Sergalis. I think you're getting that now in the NHL a little bit too. Because now, you know, every industry needs its profit center, and baseball was what it started it up. And and now you have that. So we can do take two the, hours you know. It, and one team and one team ends up winning uh because they ended up leveraging or using these advanced stats, and then other teams don't want to get left behind. The next thing you know it becomes an industry standard. And that's what that's what's happening a across of, the sports. A couple of quick hits as we rounded out here the last uh you know segments of the show. The number six four six seven one six eight one eight seven, if you want to give us a call. You can talk about whatever you want. Uh, best Line on Twitter this week. And it's my buddy Al Dukes for the Boomer and Carton show. Al does not like me, in case people don't know. But Al said, Roger Goodell reviewing Tom Brady's suspension is like the, you know someone asking, "Can I speak to the manager?" And then they say, "Oh, I am the manager." That is pretty yeah. funny. That is a good line by Al Dukes. Um, look, a couple of things, and I'll curious your thoughts. First, Jets fans celebrating Brady being out, grow up, grow up, because you want to be the best, you want to beat the best want to beat the team in front of you, and the Patriots are the gold standard, and the Jets fans, and especially when Rex was here, the Jets like to talk, beat the Patriots at their best, and stop trying to get uh, uh, you know, an advantage, and by the way, before you throw dirt on the Patriots, remember Matt Castle? what did they win, 11 games the year Matt Castle took over for Brady, after week one, now they didn't make the 11 playoffs, and five it was a tiebreaker, that is, you know, when you miss the playoffs at 11-5, and five, that's not a bad season, that's a tiebreaker that they lost it out on. So that's number one. As far as the NFL and Goodell, I'm not gonna, you know, it's it's at a point where it's nauseating. Goodell is just like Bud Selig, just like every other empty corporate suit. They manage by public consensus, not necessarily by what they believe is right. And Joe Casal, who's been on the show, our buddy lawyer down in Florida, has been an agent, said the NFLPA is the ones to blame because every time they go to the negotiating table against the owners, they capitulate and that's why they're in the position that they're in. That's why they'll always be under the thumb of Godell until they do what the MLBPA does to stand up. Now, that may cost them some of the season. may cost them paychecks, which, unfortunately, most ballplayers and, and for those who are in the business side of sports, especially NFL, those guys can't afford not to have their paychecks because money management could be an issue in that league, from what I understand more than others. But that's, again, another show for another day. So I'm not sure what your take is on that, Joe. That's my take on on the whole thing it just becomes more and more outrageous and more and more comical the the fact that the patriots created a truth site they created <laughs> their own it's website pretty- to release a photo you know to release okay. you know a report of how many pages it was on their end you know rivaled what the Wells they pretty it was the, the patriots are pretty are i mean pretty- it was incredible I mean, it's, I mean like, it's about the guy's weight. The deflator was <laughs> he was talking. About, come on now. I mean, you have to take into come account. On. You'd have to believe every one of their coincidences, a hundred percent, to make you feel as if Tom Brady and the Patriots were not in the wrong at all here. Um, credit to them for going these great lengths to put this stuff together. I mean, you want to think that? How can creative could they be? I mean, it's almost. It can't be true. Um, but you feel like it's, it's too outrageous to actually come up with in your own. You can't imagine really smart people sitting around the table, and this is what they come up with, unless it's true. So there's part of me that goes, you want to feel like it's true, because how could they possibly conceptualize this? So in that respect, I understand. Listen, there's other weird things about the gauges. Two separate cages were huge, one which was you know, predominantly always going lower no, than the other, and one was involved. So this was handled poorly on a lot of different This is like a congressional, a like a congressional hearing. I mean, it's so bizarre. And the mainstream media, I mean, how stupid does, the, the, does our media look? We always use this, this corny analogy, but Alien came down from outer space and looked at what's important in, in American culture. The gate like, probably is right up there next to some of the other dopey things. Oh, forget about the unemployment rate. Forget about the borders. You know, forget about the economic issues that the country faces. Let's talk about the Flategate and get outraged over the Flategate. I mean, come on. I mean, I could guarantee you, you could deflate a football, put it in Joe Bono's hand, and we won't be able to beat Indianapolis Colts. Sports is entertainment. It's a TV show just like you know that we watch on broadcast television and the movies, et cetera. Tom Brady is one of our stars. He's our celebrity. And this is gossip. This is page six, six six-type stuff for the NFL. Um, It just is... Like you said, when today's show when Good Morning America and CBS This Morning has to have on you know, these football experts and Bob Costas and Peter King within the first two minutes of their show uh, to talk about the flake gate. it's incredible that we've gotten to that point. It's incredible how Patriot fans want to continue to defend the Patriots to the ump degree. Um, you know, we have, uh, you know, obviously, I, you know, I love Barstool Sports. I love those guys. But obviously oh, the publicity great. stunt they did this what week did was the they did the sit-in over at the NFL uh, offices. Yeah, the they guys, did? the guys up from Boston uh, staged a uh, sit-in. You know, Dave Portnoy, who is the president <laughs> of of Arsenal Sports, they they did like a picket. They did a picket outside, and they walk in. He goes in his Brady outfit, goes up to security, says, "I have a meeting with Roger Goodell." They ask for his name. <laughs> he gives the name. That's like Goes well, you're, not,
0: he goes, not, well, you're not on. on
1: he goes well, you're not on the list. And he's like, "Well, what floor is it on?" And he goes, "I don't know. I don't have my email in front of me." You know, like, you don't have a meeting with him. Like, the lady was actually entertaining the thought that he would possibly have a meeting with the NFL commissioner. And they handcuffed themselves there. And I think ultimately they knew they would get arrested. I don't know if they knew they would spend the night in jail, which they did. Um, but they got their publicity for it. So oh, I need to, maybe I kudos need to, to that. that. Maybe I need to go. And they, they know me over at the Mets office, so it wouldn't work as well. I go and I have, probably a have a meeting with picture Terry Collins. If I have a picture of you within, if you get in within 100 feet. Jay, Jay Horwitz. Runs away from me anytime I've covered a game. there. Like I really am nice. I go, "Hey Jay, how you doing?" I put my armor. He, he runs away. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I did to him. I've done nothing but nice. I would go have a meeting with Terry Collins. That's almost like a Borat scat with, a skit. What they did, you know, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. You've seen the movies, yeah? That cool. was a Borat <laughs> skit if I've ever seen one. Uh, speaking of entertainment, Chris Ballard of SI wrote an interesting piece looking back at the draft lottery. So the Knicks now. Have the day is set up? You're gonna have Steve Mills going on the days. We're all gonna be sitting during halftime. Was it Tuesday? Not. 18th? It's not gonna be Isaiah. Not gonna be Isaiah. No, I mean that's. By the way, Frank Isol and I are on the outs again. I'm not. He's, he asked me to stop texting him this week. He said he's tired of talking mixed with me. He says I don't get it. So if I don't get it, he has no reason for me to text him. Wow, this relationship is. Um, this, sure this is This is fast. I thought no. you guys would at least last the summer. I least thought it would be a summer thing. No. I didn't think it'd be over no. now. Who we'll breaks it up no, now? I don't know if it's over. Maybe, I think we need maybe to take Frank a break. wants to be he wants to be single for the summer. He wants, he wants to be a new relationship. Right. That is true. So um, you know, the frozen envelope. They look back thirty years to the, the the first draft lottery, which was think about this, Joe. The first draft lottery was seven envelopes in a little circular ball that yeah. David Stern bingo, rolled around. Like Bingo style. They yeah. had to drop, because they, they paid USA uh, USA Television, USA Network, forty grand the NBA to actually tell So they brokered time the NBA. They dropped the cable to the truck on 49th Street, like 18 floors, had a truck idling on 49th Street in Manhattan, like in the middle of the day. I don't care what area you are in the city. That's a, that's, a, that's a risky proposition. And the biggest thing that comes away is that there was frozen envelopes or creased envelopes. They've had magicians look at with sleight of hand, um, all these different things. Will there be a conspiracy theory this week when the Knicks hopefully win the lottery and have the pick of what they want? What is your prediction? Will we have a conspiracy theory? I think the Knicks will not win the lottery. If the, the Knicks lottery, win, be Knicks win will be a conspiracy theory. Um, and I'm hearing yeah, yeah, – you're right. I want, I want the Knicks to get the number two pick. If the Knicks, Knicks get the number two left. pick – Takes the pressure off of you kind of know what you're going to do based on what the guy at number one does and i know they're in you know working out cauley stein listen if they're the fifth pick and they're picking Coley stein I mean, this a was team. a disaster you know so you know two pick okay they trade down. one you take towns towns you go okafor i think that would be the way to go look at the history of the nba and how many number one picks have won nba titles it's not that long of a list um, especially in recent history. Do you um, you know back in Chris 85, Chris Mullen was picked seventh, and Benoit Benjamin, Joe Klein, and John Konkak were picked ahead of him. Well, Think about that. Well, look, John Konkak well, made a lot well, of well, money. Well, about this? Chris Mullen was picked seventh by the Golden State Warriors in that draft, and then in the 2008 draft, the seventh overall pick, again, was the Golden State Warriors, and that was, of course, Steph Curry. And uh, one ahead of the Knicks, who ended up picking Jordan Hill, who ended up getting right. traded to Houston for Tracy McGrady. And uh, well, Steph Curry, MVP Kaplan. of the NBA, hits a 65-foot Yeah, hits a sixty-five sh- uh, foot shot yesterday at the end of the third quarter, and his Warriors are on to the conference finals. And what yep. could have been. There you go. What could have been. So best quote David Stern in this article by yes, uh, Chris Ballard, because they looked back, that the NBA, he – almost it was like disney the arenas of the entertainment uh arena you know sort of uh, parks you have arenas as your entertainment centers and you have characters like goofy and mickey except you have lebron and michael and patrick and i thought you know what that is a really good analogy and maybe that's why we have the flake gate talk it's basically like disney sports has become like disney there's characters there's arenas instead of sliding down a water slide or going to you know, uh, look at a ride, you know, a, a, a thrill ride. You just, you're, you're, you're taking on this wild ride like the Rangers are putting you on. So to me, I think that's a perfect analogy. I think I take you on a ride every Saturday. You don't know what to expect. Actually, you threw a little uh, sleight of hand there to me today with the bringing your buddy Apple Cider on. New, and the funny segment. thing is, Bogus. I, had been, uh, I had been, you know, planning that, well, really just only since yesterday. But then uh, you bring up again her tweets, you know, right before the interview with Bogus starts, and I'm going, wow, oh, this is going to just be perfect. Oh, I mean, and I really honestly didn't know she was uh, she was coming on. I mean, not, not Mojo.
0: at Mojo. 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 The libido, the life force, the essence, the right stuff, what the French call a certain... Jim Mojo
4: Morrison.
5: Mojo! <laughs>
1: Mojo, a jam-packed show, and what a way to put the cherry on top of what we basically are, the internet radio portion of Disney, just like David Stern called the NBA, or how they describe the NBA in that SI article. You are the cherry on top. You're goofy to our Mickey and uh, Donald. What's going on, man?
4: Not a lot, guys. Great show. I I love Kevin Kern, and he is – I feel his pain. I often go through a lot of that uh, with a lot of these guys working minor league baseball, and I always try to tell them the Mark Twain quote on statistics, that there are three kinds of lies, lies, damn lies, and statistics. Watch the game, evaluate players, and learn what it's all about. These numbers do lie. Numbers do you know, create false narratives when it comes to players. And I've maintained this to people on and off the air radio about uh, Flores. I mean, scouts have called it three years ago. This kid cannot play at the major league level at the shortstop position. There's no position for him at the major league level at this point uh, in, it's just not there. If he's going to play, play him in the American League and let him just swing the bat and make Omega Martinez are, are one of those type of players. And, and, but the Mets and Sandy have to be right, Mike, and that's just the way it is.
1: Yep. I'm always, I love being put on trial by Sandy every time he does his group interviews. It's like it's, if anyone's ever been in a deposition for their job or personally, and hopefully, hopefully you haven't been, Sandy's like a deposition. He doesn't say anything. It's like, you know, he lectures. I'm really, I got to be honest with you, I am so tired of Sandy lecturing me. I really am. I really am. And this take a deep breath thing, and, and Kernan said it best, as he's going to take a deep breath and take a vacation. Joe, maybe you're going to Brazil. Maybe I need to take a vacation from the Mets. You know what? And maybe there's a lot of fans out there that we're going to go to, like, whatever it is, Happy Harvey Day, Thor Day, Free Shirt Friday, Sedora hat, whatever the hell they're doing these days. Hey Mike, don't go. Don't go to the you game are, and then we'll take Sandy's advice. Don't go to the game. Take a deep breath. No, you're welcome to come with me anytime you want to Brazil. You can come this no. week. No. You can you can you can keep Brazil. You can keep Brazil. You
4: know, and you and, and, and you know, and to switch gears on your opening segment, Joe. Uh, I mean, you actually for the first time in my, my life forced me to want to clean a bathroom more than listen to a sports talk segment. Uh, I gave my cleaning lady the day off today because she usually comes in the afternoon and the Rangers are going to be on. So I didn't want her to bother me. So I have to, you know, attain to, uh, you know, an to a certain uh, level of cleanliness in my house. So I actually started to do that during that segment because it started out like listening to your guest. I mean he, he sounded like Mickey Goldmill and Rocky. It's like let's line up all these stiffs to get us a title, you know, and let's protect you know, I mean winning the process competing. It's what sports is all about. And it's like what Mike said, you know, you want to win six nothing, but then it takes away the beauty of the process and the Mato game goes and the and the messy a guarantee goes, I mean, when you win a championship, it's a journey and, you know, if you it's easy then everybody would do it and that's I'll, what I'll people fail to realize
1: Okay, Tom what? Hanks. Uh, quoting uh, Tom it's Hanks. it's jo-
4: uh, Well, Joe. Um, well, listen. I mean, well,
1: it's be- it's better than the narratives that you
4: throw out uh, with, with, now, with these. What are you uh, even, we, Rojo, What are you even talking about today?
3: I, I don't even know with what the, you're
4: with those, about. W- 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 Well, no, that segment was just. Oh my God! It was just. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to get What give. Are you even? But what are you talking about?
1: I don't even know. The what whole, you're, the whole, the Rangers. We're going
4: to we're going to judge the Rangers on style points because they're winning close games. I didn't say that at all today. No, you're guested. The guest did. did. And, that and, wasn't
1: what he was saying. What, he was, what
4: saying, was he, he saying, saying, Joe? Mojo they, played
1: the 13, Mojo, they played 13 straight one-goal games. What he was saying is it would be nice to take a breath, to have one easy one in this, in this road, to have one 4-1 comfortable win. I think he understands that at the end of the day, when you look back on it, it made it all worthwhile. But I think even most Ranger fans would say, oh, my God, can they give us a little bit of a breather? Does every game have to come down to a flurry in the last minute? Does every game have to come over to an overtime? I just think I think you just sit back. If I'm the Rangers, it doesn't matter if it's six nothing in the third period. Wait for the Isles blog to say something and, like, magic. Well, they gave they gave you a four one game the
4: other night and then it went down to four three. I mean, it's 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 Stanley. I mean, you're not playing you know the the Carolina Hurricanes. You're not playing the Toronto Maple Leafs in the
1: playoffs. You're not playing You're not out. playing teams like that. But this is I mean, an unprecedented playing... run. These are, these are NHL records they're breaking for consecutive one-goal playoff games. So, I mean, anyone... And you, said,
4: and you played a Penguins team with Sidney Crosby, and you played a Washington team with Ovechkin, which... Who's uh, which saying that concerted... they didn't?
1: No one talks about file points, that it's t- easy to win these games. We're just saying, if you're a Rangers fan, watching these games night after night after night, your first-place President's Trophy-winning Ranger team, it'd be nice to win a game comfortably... In the third period, once in a while. Not to have a knot in your stomach for three hours every single But well, What time. is the bottom
4: line, Joe, at the end of 60 minutes or at the end of overtime? What is the bottom line?
1: I'm not disagreeing in in with you. Where are you, where, where, What is wrong with him today? Go clean your house. I mean, seriously, <laughs> what is, what's yeah, so The best part about this is that Mojo has a cleaning lady, Bodo has a cleaning lady, and I don't. <laughs> Let me tell you something. And Mojo works hard for his money. And one of the pleasures that he takes is that he doesn't have to clean his bathroom.
3: <laughs> I don't know what no, you get I, this I, I,
1: I mean, I'm like, just listening to people. My mouth. I mean, I people, complaining. Complaining. people are complaining been, about
4: winning 2-1 games. You games. You're you winning the 2-1 games. You're winning the 2-1 games. You are cleaning
1: your toilet bowl. You must have had your head in the toilet bowl cleaning it when that whole segment happened because you complained. No, oh, no, I started you out listening,
4: and and, and then I, I went and I had to start cleaning it because I couldn't Mojo, are you the, gonna post? The,
1: the, the, are you gonna post a picture of coffee on Twitter after every Rangers winning this? Eastern Conference No, finals. I told
4: you, you do not close it out until the series is won. That is oh, the so new... We won't I don't, get a call. You know, yeah, you know, a game six victory or a game five victory, that's only part of the process. The process is winning the series. I mean, this is going to be a tough series. I mean, Tampa is, is a, good, a good team. Uh, I would have actually rather have played the Canadians simply for the fact that the, the respect level for the Canadians is higher. And when you respect your opponent, you tend to play uh, better and close to the best. I mean, a lot of people, I think, you're saying, oh, well, it's Tampa, and, you know, it's Tampa, you know, and that's kind of like the, the attitude I've talked to a lot of Ranger fans uh, since the, you know, the other night, and I'm like, dude, this team is good. You know, the Rangers did lose all three games to them, but it was early in the year. Uh, they've got a lot of offense. I think this series is going to come down if the Rangers inflict their defensive style in the series and they play the way they have. I mean, they, they took Crosby, Malkin, and Ovechkin, and they, they went on the power play 26 times in the first two, Two, uh, rounds, and the Rangers only allowed one goal. They're almost at 90% on the power play kill. And you know Lundqvist is Lundqvist. I mean, it's it's going to be a good series. I think you'll see a little bit more offense, but the Rangers are a defensive-minded team. Vigneault, despite the reputation of being an offensive uh, coach, he does you know go defense out as far as the way he uh, coaches. I think the Rangers have an edge in goal a little bit, and they have an edge in defense, and they have an edge at the head coach position uh, based on experience. I think that that will get them over the top in this series. Rangers and uh, seven, mojo.
1: Rangers and seven. That's my uh, prediction. Rangers.
4: Yeah, six or seven. I mean, you're not going to predict a, a short series in, in a conference final, uh, especially with you know the way Tampa can play. This team is a young and up-and-coming team. Uh, I, I just want four wins. That's the way I would look at it if I'm a Ranger fan. I don't care if they're six nothing, two one, one nothing. Lundqvist has to do you know a handstand in, in overtime to keep the puck out of the net. I mean, you just look at it. At the end of the day, you survive in advance i mean to use all these 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 things that people like to use but the bottom line is just to get there and you know they've been in the conference final now for the third time in four years and, and just to listen to people complain about winning two no one game
1: complaining about it no Joe, one's complaining it's, it's, about uh,
4: it uh, no no they're not.
1: not no Bojo. no one's complaining about it no one's taking anything away from the rangers winning series because they're not winning four to one but you have to admit that playing these many one goal games in a row is unprecedented. Unprecedented. That the fan. So, I so it's what is the, uh, it's understandable for a fan to go, you know what? It'd be nice to either lose a 3 1 game or get a 4 1 game or so win a 4 1 game.
4: You would rather lose a 3 1 game than win a 2 1 game.
1: That's not what I said, and yes, you know You, what? Did. you said dunk. it would be nice to win. Go it dunk. would be
4: nice to lose a 3-1 game. Go get game, out your dunk, feather
1: duster. Go get out your feather duster.
0: Go get
4: <laughs> All out right. your Joe. The
0: bottom line is, is the, the narrative
4: that you, you know, it, it would be nice if you could speak from winning a playoff series. It, it's been 22 years since your, your team did it. So you, know you right. would you know, be nice if you could actually speak from postseason
1: success. From postseason success, Joe. You know the scene from Goodfellas? You know, go get your shine box. Mojo, go get your Swiffer. Go get your Swiffer, okay? Because you did not get – you came on today for some reason oh, thinking your own thoughts and not listening to what anyone was saying. What? I was saying if you're going to lose a game, oh, you lose games in heartbreaking fashion good. and winning games in thrilling fashion. Probably every once All in a while, right. if you're going to lose, you go, hey, no, you lost 4-1. <laughs> you did not in not nope. That was what I was saying. On that, Mike, am I off? Like, am I off base no, here? I don't know. What I don't know Where he got? Where did he get that from today? Where did know. he possibly get that from? Because Andrew to go back said, and listen said it'd be nice to win a game comfortably every once in a while. That that, so. that provoked all of that. Go get your swim. <laughs> the fact that you said, go get your All right. Well, enjoy Brazil, Joe. Have good fun. Have a good time in Brazil. I mean, you know, no, I'm excited. That's all- Nice, calming, it. relaxed. No one's worried about this kind of stuff down there. No one's
0: They're worried about other it's stuff. the weekend watchdogs with Mike Silva and Joe Bono. What's that? Oh, that hit them. Sorry, I don't know it what that it. is.
1: <laughs> I don't.
0: We're gonna start no. over. We're gonna do another hour.
1: Anything? Oh, no, we're gonna be fine. All right. Well, I want to thank Kevin Kern of the New York Post, Andrew Bogish, of and CBS Sports Radio. Thank you, Mojo, for cleaning your bathroom. If I ever visit your apartment, that's gonna be something that I will appreciate. Listen to us live on replay at weekendwatchdog.com. Send us a tweet at silver Media at J Six One One and check us out on Facebook at the Weekend Watchdogs Facebook page. Joe, have a safe trip and Thank I you. will uh, I will see you next week. Take care, my friend. Later.